Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 3, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. And uh, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. And uh, today's guest, we have a, have, a, have a fun conversation with my boy Steve from the whenprobertwasking.com. And we discuss uh, a project that he did a few months back now. Um, it was the top 25 fighters of all time. And I suggest you go to his website. Like I said, when Probert was king.com, check it out. He's got profiles of all the guys, write-ups, videos to support his arguments and, uh, and pictures and the whole nine yards. I know he put a lot of effort into it and I really wanted to get him on the show and talk about it. Everybody likes lists, right? And, uh, you know, and, uh, it'll certainly be, um, I know there's a few, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you really can't argue with anyone that's on the list now. There will certainly be plenty of debate about where they appear on that list, um, and I and I and I encourage everybody to get a hold of me on Twitter at Fourth Line Voice on Twitter and and Steve on Twitter as well. Again, when Probert was king, and uh, you know, and and let us know what you think of the list and the episode. And I, I look forward to to having some uh, some spirited conversation about it. But uh, no, Steve was a great guest. I've had him on on my old platform. And I uh, always enjoy talking to Steve, and uh, he he brought it, man, I'm telling you. And when he he names the guys, and, and we go really in-depth on, we didn't, oh, one, two, three, you know, and we're done in six minutes. Like, no, we, we break it down and uh, discuss a lot of different things, and, and, and it gives us reasons why. And, uh, you know, and it, it was a real cool talk. So uh, I, I thank you very much. I think you guys will really, really dig it. Thank you very much for... Uh, for checking me out but uh if you haven't uh already please go back and listen to my the previous couple episodes of course episode one it's just kind of laid it out there and uh you know onto the network and what the show was all about and told a couple stories and then uh episode two on sunday it was uh on sundays i i relaunched my old player interviews and uh i had john nasty morasty i put his interview up that i did a couple months back and uh and uh, I, I, I'm really proud of the interview, and John was great. And like I said, it's two hours of getting stories from one of the toughest, toughest cats in the minors, in minor league history, really. And uh, I mean, you know, legendary. I mean, his fights are all over YouTube, and uh, and we talk about a lot of them. And uh, like I said, John was a great guest. So I highly uh, I encourage everybody to go uh, if you haven't already to check that out. But uh, other than that, if you guys are on iTunes, and like I said, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, we're on all the platforms. Uh, if you could rate rate and review the show, it helps me out in the rankings. And uh, 
you know, much appreciated. Like I said, leave a, hopefully leave a five-star review, but if not, uh, you know, whatever stars you feel are, are warranted and, uh, and a comment. And like I said, follow me on Twitter. Uh, same thing on YouTube, fourth line voice on YouTube. I got about 2000 videos up there and, uh, subscribe to the channel because as, as soon as I, I, I have a whole bunch of DVDs here. Steve, actually Steve sent me a whole bunch and I have a whole bunch more coming. So I should have a whole bunch of uh, new content getting put up. I'll try to get on that. I try to put up a few each day. Um, or at least, you know, every couple of days I'll put about five or six new ones up there. And, uh, and I think, and some really unique stuff that I don't think anybody's really seen. So, uh, you know, if you're subscribed and you get notified that they're up, you won't miss a single punch. So, and in the meantime, like I said, there's 2000 other videos for you to check out. So, uh, like again, fourth line voice on YouTube and on Twitter, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what you think of the show. Drop me a direct message and, you know, like I said, pros, cons, who, if you know someone that you can come, if you want to come on, if you're a fan and have a story to tell, let me know. And, or if you know players or, like I said, we're just here to, uh, I'm here to keep the spirit of, uh, the enforcer in old time hockey alive and get these guys to share stories. So, uh, and I want to give them the platform to do so. So, uh, yeah, get a hold of me. Love to hear from you. But uh, I, I'll stop my app in here because Steve and I go for about two hours and really break it down. So here is uh, the top uh, 25 list and uh, from, from my boy Steve, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, in the meantime, like I said, there's, you know, uh, lot, lots of, uh, you got Terry Ryan's show and Brady Leibolt and uh, analytics show, and of course all the NHL teams are represented here on the network. Check those out. And then, of course, my boy Alec over at Five for Fighting, William at the Biscuit, Dan at the Obey the Puck Show, Slewfoot Show, Get the Gate, all those boys. Uh, get You know, like I said, the little guys, let, give us all a, give us a shot. You know, uh, I mean, everybody knows Spit and Chicklets and all that, but uh, the rest of us, we're, like I said, we're kind of the mom and pop shops of the podcasting network, you know, and... Uh, Oh, by the way, yeah, and a shout out to my boy uh, Bobby Longgrass after taking a lip stand off a skateboard. There, I hope you're hope you're feeling better, man. That looked rough, but I hope you and the hope the new the new kid there and uh, and the and the wife and, and you are, are all doing well. But uh, so again, I hope everybody out there is staying uh, staying healthy and staying safe and uh, follow the rules. Don't be a Corona hero, and uh, we'll we'll get back at her. But uh, in the meantime, uh, enjoy the episode three. And uh, and then on, on this Sunday, I will be releasing another player interview. I haven't decided which one yet. But uh, like I said, if on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to, subscribe. And uh, I'll be coming at you every Wednesday and Sunday. But uh, in the meantime, let's get rolling. All right, thanks, guys. All right, here on the fourth line voice, my, my special guest for tonight is uh, my aunt Steve. From the uh, who runs the website when Probert was and uh, we got a bit, we got a big topic to talk about tonight. But uh, first of all, Steve, how you doing tonight? I'm good, thanks for having me. Hey, well, thank you, thank you very much. I mean, you know, this is kind of getting old hat for you. I think this is like, well, before on my other site before we had, I think you're on two or three times, and uh, so you know what's going on. You know what we're you know what we're all about here. Oh yes, I'm a fourth line voice uh, veteran exactly. at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, well, you, well, I was going to say recently, I was going a couple months ago, um, you would, on your website, you did a massive project, and uh, everybody likes to talk about their top tens or, and all that stuff, and the debates are great and everything, but of course, you went one step further and did the top 25, and you put it on your website, and it's got pictures and video and write-up for everything, 
Everybody listening, like I said, when probertwasking.com, you should go check it out. But uh, the write-ups and the videos are tremendous. I don't even want... Well, we'll get into how, how long it took you to do all this. But uh, what was... Uh, what, what what made you want to do this? And uh, how did you... What was the criteria and, and all that stuff? And how long did it take you to, to put the whole list together? Um, well, putting the list together was, you know, it's just been something... You know, like we've always, you know how it was when we were on the, you know, the old forums. There was always somebody posting their all-time list. And it was just one of those things that always sort of fascinated me about hockey fighting because there was so much fighting. There's so much footage of all these fighters that you can actually sit down and and make a case for this guy being a top five all-time guy or this one being a top ten all-time guy. And that's one of the parts of the whole hobby that, you know, I really sort of gravitated towards. So, you know, it's the part that most interests me the most. And, you know, that's why I, I undertook, you know, this, this was only supposed to be a top 25 list with a little, a couple sentences and it grew into this gigantic, you know, project and, and everything like that. But, you know, it was a labor of love, but it took me a while, you know, just you, you're trying to do something like this, but you're also you know, working and, you know, raising a family and everything like that. So there's a, you're always busy, you know, and trying to sneak in, a few paragraphs here or there or a page here or there or something like that, you know, and then, then you got to go fact check everything you wrote and, you know, all the other little stuff you got to do and everything like that. So, you know, it was a way to roll up, but it, yeah, it took me a while, um, months, six months, even more, just, you know, a little, at a little bit at a time. I think going forward, I might just do, I might just add one per, you know, every, instead of doing another 25, I might just do one, you know, so no, the next one will be 26. The next one I thought I'll be 27 instead of doing a whole huge, you know, 26 to 50, you know, uh, breakdown of the next group. You know, I think I might just, uh, break it, break it down to a little them, more manageable size. Yeah. Cause even just posting on my site, cause I'm not the most tech savvy guy at, at, out there. So just, just trying to post something so huge like that was a challenge on its own. So I might just do, you know, one player at a time going forward, but you know, it'll, you know, it'll keep me going. Hopefully, we'll, we'll take this all the way to one hundred. Well, and it, it, like, and for me, it was it was really cool to read. And like you said, with the you and I, of course, uh, we're we're dating we're dating ourselves here, but uh, you know, we we go back to the old uh, fight message boards, uh, back to the uh, rink rat and fried chicken days, and uh, and all that, and uh, hockeyfights dot com and. Uh, in its infancy, um, where uh, you know the discussions got pretty wild, and uh, and every night there was something going on, right? So it was, uh, you know, yeah. you always had, you always had something to talk about, and like you said, everybody, you know, there was always the, you know, the definitive top ten, and then uh, there was voting, and uh, you know, and of course you had your, your your different fans in different areas. Of course, you know, they might have had the the Homer blinders on a little bit, so somebody would get a little more love. Than, <laughs> yeah. You know, you get yeah. the Bruins guys on one side, and then you got the, you know, the the Fatio guys on the other, and uh, and, oh, and all that. Geez, yeah, <laughs> you know, but um, you know, and then of course uh, to go back even further than that, of course, uh, I know he's listing uh, my boy Joe Lazito, um, you know, in the, in the Stan Fischler Bad Boys books. And then, of course, in the Tough Guy magazines that came out in the '90s, uh, Joe was responsible for doing the uh, for doing those rankings. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, and and those were always fun to look at. And uh, so it was. Uh, this is a real kind of a nostalgic look back 
your list because uh, I mean we've been we've been doing this shit for thirty years. Yeah, it's like we kind of you know, you kind of cut your teeth on those message boards. You know, you all those old uh, notebook pages that you scribbled when you were younger when you first started getting your VHS tapes and you started like making your first all time list and then you get on the message boards and some guy groups you to shit because they didn't like your list or something like that. You just sat like kind of, and then you, I think you learn as you go along. Oh, you know, I think that was one, you know, I think that was one of the best things when I remember, I forget, I think it was telling John at the hockey fight league about, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, you, you're me and my friends used to just watch VHS tapes that I hung around with. And then, you know, as we got older and everyone got married and got jobs and careers and all that stuff, you know, there's a few of us, you know, left who were living our lives. And, it's, you know, you don't have that discussion anymore. You didn't have that, like, outlet anymore, you know. And then once, once you know, computers became, like, a you know, sort of a big deal and the Internet, you know, sort of really got happening and the message boards came around, you know, it's, it kind of brought a lot of that discussion back. And, you know, you ran into a lot of really, like, knowledgeable people, you know, who lived through the 70s and could tell you firsthand how tough a guy like you was. You know, and I think as you go along, you sort of learn from that, you know, and it's not just going on there and just chirping people about their all time list. It's like, oh, well, maybe this guy makes some sense here about this guy, you know, and you kind of like learn from them. And that's why I always hate that those boards kind of disappeared because it really was a world of knowledge there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was in the same boat as you were, you know, exactly. I mean, you know, you get the old the VHS tapes and, uh, you know, my, you know, my friends and I would kind of, we'd watch them and stuff. And, of course, we had the junior team here, so we'd go to those games and, you know, and stuff like that. But, I, like I've said a million times, I mean, you know, there was no YouTube. or We didn't have any satellite back then, so we really didn't see a lot of stuff, the American teams, right? So, uh, yeah. you know, the when you'd get uh, Nick Favonia's list or Sandy Vigilante or whatever, and, you know, when you'd get these tapes from, you know, games in like Boston and stuff, you're, you know, like, holy shit, you know, this is the greatest thing ever. And, uh, and then, like you said, and then of course, when the internet hits and I get on there and find the, you know, the fried chicken website and like, I couldn't believe there was other fight psychos other than me. And then, and then you always think you kind of know a lot of stuff. Cause you know, you're the one who's like the most knowledgeable out of your friends kind of thing. Well, all of a sudden, you start reading those message boards, and it's like, holy shit! I don't, I don't know. I'm not half as smart as I think I am. I can tell you that, you know. Yeah, you're right, and it always it always took like some guy taking you to school real quick during a debate, <laughs> and you'd kind of read back on it, like, yeah, man, that that guy kicked my ass, in. I gotta learn, I gotta be better. <laughs> well, yeah, and it, and it was interesting, and it's like anything, right? And that was always the the one really cool thing with like the with the podcasting thing. Um, and then on Twitter and stuff was to sort of like, I would air quote meet or talk to, but people from different areas, because that's the thing, like back, you know, when you get that 80 and the seventies and eighties knowledge from them, whether it be the junior minors or whatever, I mean, everybody is in a different pocket of the world, right? In North America. Yeah. So they, everyone saw different stuff that no one else did. Like when I talked to like farmer Rob there on my old, like he was a big London Knights guy. So, I mean, he grew up with, like, the Shanahan, Louis DeBrusque, you know, when he was just terrorizing London. And Greg's, and the bird dog, you know, Greg Smythe, you know, and, you know, stuff like that. And, I mean, other than that, I would never know any of that stuff because, I mean, we obviously we never saw London Knights footage 
from the 80s. So when you have a guy like Rob, so he brings that to the table. So that was the great thing with the message board. Like you said, you had all these guys from different areas. Like you said, a guy from New York that, you know, was at MSG in the 70s and could tell you how Fatio did. Or guys that saw WHA shit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Yeah, that's another thing that you kind of miss with, like, a lot of those boards being gone is, is uh, all those knowledgeable guys. They, they had that one place to be at, and you could just kind of surf through all the pages for, you know, hours and just read about McAlargy and Vancouver and Randy Holt and Cleveland and, you know, stuff like that, stuff that you wouldn't pick up anywhere else, you know. And, you know, that's the shame about those boards being gone. But, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of where a lot of all this all-time ranking stuff really kind of, it molds you, I guess, in a way. You sort of already kind of get an idea for a sort of like a, a formula to, to go off. You know, it's no longer about that guy that you saw. Like, you know, when I first went from the VHS tape days, when I first saw Dave Richter, I thought he was the greatest thing I ever saw. I couldn't believe a guy like he was just a big, rangy, six foot five southpaw. He had like a murderer's glare. You know, he just had that look like he was just going to tear you apart. His fucking dudes up left and right. And like, it, you, like not being as knowledgeable as I am, I'm seeing him bash guys like Kevin Smith, Jerome Dupont, Wally Ware, and I'm like, oh wow, he's awesome, you know. And then you kind of get on like the message boards, and you're like, oh geez, those like a, those guys are kind of scrubs, you know. Like they weren't really that good at all, you know. You kind of like, well, maybe maybe he isn't like an all time great. You know, and you start kind of learning, like, oh, maybe he only didn't have a short run as a top guy, you know. And then you realize he really didn't beat a lot of, outside of maybe Coaster, you know, he didn't really beat a lot of top talent, you know. And you kind of like, you start, you know, looking back and going over your kind of criteria and, oh, all right, so maybe Richter isn't as high up as I, I thought he should be, you know. So you kind of go from that, you know, looking at your favorites, your top favorites, you know, from when you first started watching your VHS tapes, you know, like, oh, he has a great style. He's my, he's one of my favorites, so he's got to be an all-time great. And then once you start kind of learning more about him, you know, especially like like with the forums and, you know, all those great guys and knowledgeable guys from all over the place that saw all kinds of different things, you know, then you, you start realizing and kind of like, oh, okay, there's more to this than just this guy beating up on the Jerome DuPonts of the world, you know. So, you know, it's, it certainly helps you along your way of figuring out how to put together that all-time pecking order. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it was, uh, and it was interesting. Another thing, it's like, yeah, and especially cause you'd get these, uh, you know, these assorted tapes and stuff. So you'd have like, yeah, the guy'd be on there like two or three times. Well, those, I mean, those could literally be his three greatest hits. Right. But in your mind, yeah, after yeah, playing that tape, yeah. holy shit, this guy's like, you know, I mean, Probert better never run into this cat. You know, it's like, you know, but uh, yeah. but then years later, when you get a, or else if you got a player tape, to me, that was always a real big, a big thing. Um, all of a sudden, you get a player tape and you could like, you could basically, I mean, no one, you know, I mean, as you know, from the, there is footage of every fight from the guy isn't available, but I mean, you could definitely get a good judge of a guy by putting a player DVD on, especially if it was a really good one put together well. And, you, you know, you start from the, go chronologic, and you can get chronologically, and you can just see his growth as a fighter, right? And then, or or you see declaring weaknesses as a fighter. True. 
Very you know, true, you're right. Well, once you see the whole body of work, it's like, okay. You know, now that gives me a lot. You know, and of course now with YouTube, I mean, you could see a lot of guys. You know, you could get a really good uh, uh, a measure of a guy because there's just so much footage out there now. Oh, absolutely. No, no, you're, you're right about that one. And it's, it's funny, too, because like you said, like those those player tapes or player well, – it's funny, I was so impressionable. I remember when – I used to just think that if your name was on, like, one of those Fist of Fury lists or, like, Nick Ravona's list, if, I, if you were a player on, on one of those player tapes, I thought you were awesome. I'm like, oh, he's got his own tape. Oh, I, I got to get this guy. Yeah. He's got his own tape. He, he must be awesome. You know, and the tape would be whatever, quarter, you know, whatever. And it's probably somebody pretty good, you know, whatever. But, uh, but yeah, so that it's funny how impressionable you are. Like, oh, wow, you know, this guy right here, it's this guy Cochran. He must be awesome. He's got his own tape. It's only 45 minutes, but I'm going to get it. You know what I mean? It was just like one of those things you just kind of like, you just, oh, he must be good, you know? Yeah. And then, like you said, you, as you, as you kind of wade through all the, the footage, you kind of like slowly start to like, oh, all right, you know, this guy is, is, better than i thought or this guy's i don't know if he's he only had like a short run you know kind of thing yeah and of course in saying all that unfortunately you know as we get into this with the 70s and 60s and 70s guys they're just the footage just isn't there right i mean there just isn't a lot of fatigue or larry playfair or you know or or about gas off i mean everybody you know i mean you talk to some people on bob gas off you know was you know could wipe out entire cities if you wanted to, you know, if you talk to some people, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and unfortunately, no, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm sure obviously, you know, from all, he was a tough dude and everything, but unfortunately I think, what is there like all of four fights of him out there or something, you know? Yeah. And it was, it's a, it's a shame too. His, his career was, you know, tragically cut short. You know, I, I, what's funny when, I remember in the past, even when I first started going on the message boards and, and you know, someone would put a, hey, put your top 20, and I'd put my ridiculous-looking top 20 out there. And somebody would say, like, no gas off? You know, or, or whoever else I might not have left. I'm like, well, you know, maybe I made, maybe I made a mistake. But you're right, it's really hard to judge a guy like like a guy like gas off who had just, I think, what, four seasons in the NHL one. Yeah, I think um, you know he it picked you know basically you know, was cut down in his prime and by all accounts you know a, a tough guy. I always got this vibe that he was maybe a little bit more of a crazy as opposed to like one of those like true like you know perfect fighters or anything like that. He seemed to have that wild man sort of vibe to him. Yeah, um, you know like I know, but that doesn't you know that's not saying that he wasn't uh, an excellent fighter either. Obviously, I'd have to kind of defer to a lot of the people who saw him, you know, at the time, but it's, I almost kind of have him as like an incomplete, you know, just because there's kind of a criminal lack of footage of him, you know, in his, his career as a, as a fighter. So that part's a shame. And other guys too, at that time, like Battleship Kelly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people at the, that maybe early to mid seventies era, he was, even though he didn't fight a ton, he was one of those guys that was very much feared and, you know, had quite a reputation for just, you know, for a short, you know, time frame in the NHL. And then you had that early to mid seventies version of Dan Maloney. There's almost no footage of these, these guys who were by all accounts, some of the greatest fighters of that time. Um, but it's just, there's really nothing really to, to kind of go off. So, you know, you'll say, you'll see like my top 25 and, some old older Toronto fan or LA fan might say, geez, there's no Dan Maloney. 
Like, well, if you if you look at the available footage on on Dan Maloney, there's really there's just not a lot of really standout you know battles. You know, I think a lot of the footage is after his shoulder injury, and he's you know kind of not the same guy he was in L.A. and you know, so it's it's really hard to judge off that. It, it's almost like rather unspectacular when you look at it, but you know, it's just those guys kind of get penalized in a way for just just having a lack of footage. Yeah, no, absolutely, and like you said, and then and even back in the day, I mean, when you're on the message boards talking to guys, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, and and it's like anything, even when you talk to a player. I mean, I, I've come across it on Twitter, or even on my podcast, and I've interviewed some of them. I mean, they'll be talking about guys, and it's like, you know, it's like uh, I've seen the footage. You know, I'm not going to argue. Yeah. With I'm not going to argue with the yeah. dude, but it's kind of like, yeah. I mean, I, people sometimes, you know, it, what is it? History is revisionist, right? So it's like, you know, everyone has their their. Sometimes reality gets skewed with with time. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, there's also that. And, and like I said, if a guy's a huge Bob Gassoff fan, well, of course, every fight he was at, he saw live, Gasser kicked the guy's ass, right? It's like, well, but did he really? I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we'll never know. And, I mean, and for me, like, well, before, I mean, we'll just say it now on your list, Fatio's not on it. Oh. Man, it must be worthless. It's it's a garbage list then. Well, but you don't I can't but, believe that guy. I can't believe that guy rammed in and put Fotio on it. Well, but that's the thing, right? I mean, back in the <laughs> message board day, I'd get you a lot of heat not doing that, right? Because there's some oh, guys, not having him in the top ten. Oh yeah, it would get me a lot of heat back then. <laughs> yeah, there's some dudes that have him even now. Like when I do the tournaments and stuff and whatever, you got guys that'll legitimately put him in the top five. And it's like, oh, I saw him yeah, back I, in the day, and it's like. You know, and I'm I'm not going to argue with him because it's like I I wasn't there, I didn't see him, but it's like and the footage that's out there, eh, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's funny because I he's another one of those guys you, you see on like Nick Pavona's list. Oh, Nick Fatio, he's got his own tape. He must be awesome. You know what I mean? And you can, then you know you get the tape or you know whatever you trade for the DVD and you you look it up and you like yeah, Jesus Christ, you know what's that? What's going on here? You know, there's not a lot of, you know, epic bouts there, and uh, not a lot of KOs, and you know, there's a, you know, there's, there's some shit going on there, you know. But he gets, um, you know, it's funny. I learned a lot about Nick Fatio, and especially from the message boards, because if you're just going to go off like footage or something like that, he really doesn't like blow you away. You know, when you look when you look at some of the, like if you watch a fight DVD, it's you easily find a hundred more exciting. You know, uh, you know, a uh, hundred fighters who, who probably you know had bigger wins or, or or bigger careers, I guess you know more you know uh, action-packed careers or whatever. But you know, Fatio uh, coming in when he did, like it, I just you don't really know until someone kind of like on the message boards they break it down for you about his impact with that Ranger team at the time when he first came in in the you know the. 76 77 season you know the rangers were kind of a pushed around team and you know and then you kind of learn a little bit about his effect and his impact you know and it's all his his story would make a wonderful movie yes if you really got down to it american kid taking a train to uh you know get ice time like you know all hours in the morning he's on a new york city subway with an axe in his bag you know and um he's a like a golden gloves boxer and you know he had you know it's funny because he kind of 
he had almost like that Italian like last name, you know, kind of like a tough talking New Yorker and, you know, an American kid, you know, and then you, then you see the style he's out there shadow boxing before he comes to grips with a fighter. He's got almost like a, a boxing, unique boxing style. You know, it, it's, yep. I think it kind of drove people a little weird at first, you know, he kind of catch it with a hook coming in and he'd kind of be all over you. And if I was over in a heartbeat and, you know, and he had quite a reputation, a huge reputation. A lot of the Fotino fans would love to really pump up the, oh, well, Terry O'Reilly wanted no part of him, challenged him in a preseason game. You know, and there's actually, like, footage of Bob Probert not really looking too keen on, on dropping the gloves on him. You know, I don't know. It, it always kind of drove me sort of batty as to why that was, you know, because it was always one of those things that people, the guys that wanted Fotino in the top five or whatever, that was always one of those things. Well, you know, we didn't have a big card because nobody would fight him. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're, 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 they're turning him down, and it's really hard to argue with it because he's, you know, I'm like, yeah, he kind of didn't want to fight him, you know, and but you know, it's just one of those weird things that he's hard to get a grip on because he only has a few major fights over such a long career, you know, and his NHL career, you know, like Larry Playfair, a lot of his big fights aren't on footage. There's no footage on it. There's not a lot like that. You know, there's this WHA stuff that, you know, isn't on video, but a lot of the New York stuff is there. So it's not like he has, like, this major knockout that's not on, you know, on, you know, on video or anything like that. So I always never understood the whole feared reputation. No, I agree. Yeah, and it was just kind of, like you said, yeah, like, you know, I wasn't there, so I can't. If that's what this guy's saying, then and I mean a lot enough people say it. Like I don't, I don't doubt he obviously he had a big rep and everything like that. I mean, you know, ex players say it and everything else. But like you said, it's just the number for me. The numbers just aren't there, and it's um, you know. But I mean, and again, this isn't an indictment of Nicky. He's a tough dude and everything. And I'm not shitting on Nick Fatio or anything. And I mean, if someone had him in their top ten, it's not like I'm calling the guy stupid or anything. But um, I was just like, I just noticed that you didn't have him in and I probably wouldn't either. I wouldn't either because it's just, it's just one of those things. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely a guy I've looked at like with this next little round that I'm doing. I mean, he's not, not immediate or anything like that, but he's, you know, obviously in the mix, he's one of the guys I've done a complete turnaround on. He was a guy that I wouldn't have even kept putting in my top 50. You know, now I'm actually considering, considering him to be in the top 30. You know, it's, what a turnaround it's been, you know, and there's a lot of good things about it, but like, like you said, there's, you know, there's just uh, not a lot there, you know, that, you know, that resume is just, you know, you kind of almost wish that Fatio had a little Semenko in him, yeah. you know, like, cause he seemed like, you know, he, he almost get, I almost got the impression with Fatio, he's one of those guys that would rather talk you out of starting a lot of shit than as, as opposed to just beating the shit out of you. You know, yeah. he'd grab a hold of you or he'd square off of you, you know, say a few things and, maybe just discuss his mob ties and, you know, maybe the guy would just back away yeah, <laughs> or yeah. something like that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I wish he had kind of like a little bit of Sammy in him. You know, we just kind of go over to smash a guy and get shit started and, you know, um, but, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah, there's a lot of kind of questions, you know, he had a huge win over Ben Wilson, which goes a long way with a lot of people because he had so few, you know, noticeable losses and, you know, it's, um, yeah, but I honestly, I, I agree. I just don't have him in the top 25. And, you know, I really didn't have him really in contention or anything like that. But, you know, I know that's going to, you know, um, 
you know, a lot of people don't like that, but you know, it is what it is. No, absolutely. Well, we'll uh, we'll get rolling. In. Well, I was also going to say so for your for your top twenty five. How did you kind of break this down, and how did uh, like in terms of like kind of rank? How did you just come to the conclusion of how to rank them, and 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 ba- what were your what were your basis for uh, where they placed? Well, I think one of the things that like you know I used to be one of those guys that loved the the long term fighters, you know, uh, you know, the guys that fought like 10 plus years in the NHL. I used to really love that, but you know, I think a lot of it boils down to like, you know, when you look at all time in an all time sense, you're looking back on someone's career. And I think you kind of look at certain high points, you know, you're not even, you're not thinking about that little nothing fight with Gina logic in the corner that never amounted anything. You're looking for significant fights, you know, the big wins, the big losses, you know, the things that make you great or the things that knock you off your pedestal, you know? So when you're going through a career, I'm looking for the big wins against the big fighters. You know, that's, that's what I want to see. If you tell me, for example, a guy that I was talking with on, uh, about on Twitter recently, Shane Sherla, someone had mentioned, Oh yeah, top 20 easily. And I was kind of like, man, and I love Sherla. He's kind of like a favorite of mine, but he just didn't have those. He didn't like, he didn't have like a, big win against like a brown or 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 like a probert i mean he battled probert but you know i never really you know like you know you, when you're thinking of a, a you know a fight that you know makes a fighter great you, you're kind of looking for them fights against them other all-timers you know like a you know the biggest guns you know that era would have been guys like dave brown or well probert and, and surely just never really had that that really significant moment against one of those guys or even against you know like some of the guys like after that, like uh, maybe maybe McCarthy or or Simon or or what have you. But you know, it seemed like he just didn't really have that. And, you know, and I know he was kind of splitting the, the enforcer duties with with Thousand McCray for a while. But you know, when I think about it, I, it's hard to really place him up there with some of the all time greats because I just didn't see those like notable victories that you're kind of looking for. You know, so that was one of the that's one of the first things I kind of. You know, when I'm thinking about a fight, like, oh, hey, Steve, where would you rank Baumgartner or something like that? I'm immediately looking like, oh, geez, what are his big wins? You know, um, you obviously just, you know, by seeing all the footage, you know he was a great overall fighter. You know, you just, and then you start looking for those wins that will help vault him over some other fighters in an all-time pecking order. You know, so that's one of the first things I, I look for. And then certain other things will count, you know, you know, like a guy like Probert with the tremendous run that he had as, a, as an elite fighter, even as he went into his Chicago years, he was still kind of like a top fighter, maybe not the champ, but, you know, to me, that kind of run is, is, a, is a big deal. I mean, even, you know, when you're talking about, you know, the length of their career and then the, the length of their, their prime run, like, you know, when they're, I always kind of refer to the top 10, you know, when they're top 10 fighters or better, you know, before they start to fade off, I kind of look at that little area right there as kind of being a very significant, you know, factor. You know, how great were they during that time? How long did they go for? You know, that's one of the things I kind of look for. Well, okay. Well, there we go. And like I said, you uh, this this list is. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to discussing this. It'll be. Uh, I think this is going to for the listeners out there. I think this is going to create a lot of. Uh, a lot of conversations. There's going to be a lot of people talking to their dashboard while they're listening to this. I think. <laughs> but, 
But we'll uh They're like what? He ran he runs web who where what? Who are these idiots that I'm listening to right now? Yes. <clears throat> <laughs> but uh well we may as well we'll, we'll start at the uh at the 25 spot and we'll <coughs> work ourselves down to the number one but uh at 25 you got uh stan jonathan yeah he's and it's it's funny i you know, i kind of pissed off all my bruins friends with that one too well why not o'reilly why isn't it o'reilly you know but um i just saw it as a pure fighter i thought jonathan was kind of, you know, better, just a two-fisted fighter who could switch hands on a dime, great power, and he was five foot eight. You know, I, I mean, it's hard to really, I mean, when you look at his time in Boston, he was essentially a top five fighter the whole time. Um, and he's doing it at five foot eight. It's uh, one of those things I keep going back on. He'd probably be my number two pound for pound fighter all time. And, um, you know, for me, fits right in there. And it's like I mentioned to you, um, you know, prior to kind of going into going on air about it but one of the things i'm always going to be looking for is those non-heavyweight fighters i think they they should be in an all-time list it, it shouldn't always be the heavyweights or the super heavyweights or the enforcers it, there should be room for the pound for pound guys the non-heavyweights the non-traditional you know um enforcers you know they should also be represented and when you're talking like you know uh, wendell clark and stan jonathan are probably my top two pound for pound guys and I, I have to include them. They have to be there. No, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, and like you said, I, and like I said, we were saying before we got going here, and, and really it could be, you know, as we do the list here, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, everything's subjective and people have their have their opinion, but it's like, you know, how do you, how you, you can't argue with any of the names on here. You know, it's not like, what's this guy? He's a pussy. You know, it's like, you know, like, no. (laughs) I mean, you might, I mean, people can debate the, you know, rankings, you know, but in terms of like the actual guys that are on this list, it's like, yeah. I mean, and like you said, you could, there's there's shit that's interchangeable for sure. You know, I mean, you go higher or lower with Jonathan, you know, but um, the one thing that struck me about Jonathan, I, I was noticing it was actually wasn't that long ago on YouTube. You kind of just bounce around, uh, and I and I'm that's the one thing on the, when it comes to like the '70s stuff. I'm uh, I I will certainly claim ignorance on a lot of things, but uh, I'm not going to definitely say I'm an expert on that footage or anything. But the one thing I did notice with Jonathan in his fights, and maybe I'm wrong, but just the ones I was seeing, he seemed to like really stand in there. Like he wasn't kind of a spin guy, or like he would. Uh, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Oh yeah. You know, oh, like because well, I mean, everybody sort of says like, "Oh, Ty Domi's like Stan Jonathan 2.0 or whatever," right? Well, to me, Domi, a lot of Domi's fights were like uh, with momentum, right, and movement in Domi's fights. Yeah, with the spin. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. I think Jonathan, yeah, the spin, the step back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everyone has a style, but that was always with Domi for me. But whereas I think Jonathan, like you know, kind of dug the blades in and just, uh, you know, stood in the pocket and went for it, right? Yeah, I think he was much more like a square up, you know, like style fighter. I know he, a lot of people kind of rip on Jonathan because he used to go for that, like, you know, that leg lift tackle, yeah. you know, slam down that he used to do. I used to just kind of get a kick out of it because he was so so tiny, you know, and he would just sort of upend guys, you know what I mean? And just, you're like, wow, I can't believe that little guy just did that. It's not like six one Mick Fakota doing it or anything like that, you know, but... But seeing a guy that small just sort of like, you know, upend a guy like that that was so big, it was 
kind of interesting at the time, but he did do that a lot, you know, so I, I understand the people who, who knock him for it, but, you know, just being able to swing from both sides and when he didn't want to get into those total to exchanges, he's obviously perfectly capable. And, um, you know, you could see kind of, you know, the guy knew what he was doing. If you ever, you know, check out that slow-mo of the Pierre Bouchard fight, you know, in that initial exchange, he barely even gets hit. You know, it's just, um, you know, it's something to see, you know, when, when you really start to break them down like that. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> well, and then, of course, you had that run there, that whole, or that whole Bruins team, right? I mean, and you got Jonathan O'Reilly and Winsick and Cashman and, you know, I mean, it's just uh, un- unbelievable toughness there. But uh, I-, I would definitely, I'd agree with you putting Jonathan in front of those guys. I mean, I guess O'Reilly would be the, the one that Bruins fans will argue with you about. But I would. Uh, yeah, and it's funny. It's funny. I'm a huge O'Reilly fan. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I actually do rate O'Reilly high, you know, fairly high. I should say he didn't make, you know, this list, but he's obviously, you know, in contention with the, you know, for the next round, but. You know, I, I think with, it's funny with O'Reilly and Jonathan, you're kind of looking at almost like a four or five year period with Jonathan where he's sort of just white hot in his prime. But with O'Reilly, he has kind of like, I think, a, you know, like a 12 year career, you know, uh, you know, great, you know, for a, a long stretch, you know, up until maybe the mid 80s, you know, early to mid 80s when he started to really break down and kind of had, you know, was sort of a shell of his, you know, former self. You know, so that's, you know, and even when he was at his best, he was just sort of like a furious throwing lefty, you know, very wild and, you know, at times kind of sloppy, you know, whereas Jonathan always seemed very measured in control, you know, could switch very fluidly, great chin, you know, you know, could really like, you know, use his low center of gravity to his advantage, you know, and I kind of, that's one of the things I always liked. I always look at that, that style and that fighting ability you know, between the two. And plus, Jonathan being a pound-for-pound guy, I think does kind of bump him up a few pegs for me. No, absolutely. Well, on to number 24. Well, here's a, you know, and a, uh, I always put him, uh, actually, he's one of the guys I always put on my Mount Rushmore, so to speak. But uh, number 24, you got the hammer, Dave Schultz. Yeah, I'm, I know I'm going to take a lot of grief because almost even back in the days on the message boards, God, no, he's, I don't even know if he's top 30. I don't know if he's top 35. He had such an impact on fighting and all these teams started their own race because of Dave Schultz. But yeah, I don't think, I don't know if he's a top 20 guy. You know, they don't, oh, he, didn't, he didn't have a great technique. The guy standing toe to toe with Ben Wilson, Stan Jonathan, Terry O'Reilly. Yeah, he, didn't, he didn't have good technique. He was one dimensional. He was basically, you know, one of your top two or three fighters, you know, from 72, 73 till he left Philly. And then he still wasn't that bad, you know, even after he kind of lost a lot of that hunger and that desire. But, you know, when he was in L.A., he went to war with Stan Jonathan. When he was with Pittsburgh, he stood toe-to-toe with a rookie, Ben Wilson. So it's like, you know, a lot of times people, oh, he just didn't, you know, I don't know. He wasn't flashy lefty, I guess. So maybe that's why people, you know, didn't really care for his technique or something like that. He was was like a a barbarian. He did pull hair. He did headbutt, knee kick, scratch, you know, he. But he set that league on fire, and it's really hard because he, he kind of has that combination where he was kind of legitimately a, like a top fighter, you know, for that stretch in Philadelphia with the Broad Street Bullies when they were really marauding through the NFL. And um, when I when I think of like an all-time fighter, I, I do think of Dave Schultz. I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with me placing him this high, but 
you know, I do, I do feel he belongs in the discussion. And I think people kind of just are too quick to write him off. I really thought that, you know, that, that four year period there with the, with the flyers at the beginning of his career was truly, you know, remarkable for that time. And I think people kind of forget a little bit about that impact that he had at that, you know, during that stretch. Well, and I think he's one of those guys like we were talking about before, I think, and the flyers at that time and, you know, and it's, you know, it's deserve it. I mean, I think a lot of times when you bring up him, his name or, you know, or Kelly or whoever, right away the gang fighting gets brought up, right? Oh, if they're losing, yeah. they'll just jumped in and, you know, whatever. Schultz always had help. And, eh, you know, if you go in on YouTube and you watch his stuff, you know, when he break it down, when it was one-on-one, he was pretty good. You know, he was pretty good. And uh, yeah, there's there's plenty of footage out there that you know even even though it is the seventies, you know the Flyers, you know obviously were fortunate, but you know they had you know a TV contract and you know their games are televised and you know they you know they had that going for them. So there is a lot of footage. So I mean, there's obviously you know more that we're missing. There's no Maloney fights, no Battleship Kelly fights. You know, there's you know certain things that we are missing, but you do get a good picture of Dave Schultz and you can, you know, actually kind of sit there and, you know, develop a feel for where he might rank all time just by going through that. I mean, you got to remember Terry O'Reilly at that time was considered one of the better fighters in the league. And there's Dave Schultz fighting him four or five times, you know, winning a couple, a couple of those fights. So, I mean, I think a lot of times, like, like you say, kind of people look back and maybe he doesn't have, you know, Link Gates on his card 15 times or Stu Grimson on there, but, you know, the guy was one of the, legitimately one of the best fighters in the league. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, well, 23 um, is the late, great Dave Samanko. Yeah, uh, Sammy is a guy, it's funny because I was really on the verge of uh, not having him on here. He's one of those guys that I used to rank maybe outside the top 10 and just over the years, he's had this sort of slow, you know, almost agonizing decline in my all-time rankings. And uh, if I was probably pressed to make a list in a, another month or so, he he might not make it. It was just, I love, I love Sammy and just the way he went about business. Like he just, he didn't care about your code. You know, all he, he, all he cared about was just, you know, taking care of business. You know, and if that meant mugging you or jumping you or attacking you, you know, and kneeing you or pulling your hair, head button, he was down to do that. And But the one thing that really does kind of kill me with Dave Semeco is that there's just not a lot of major victories there against top fighters. You know, and it's kind of one of the things that even now I, I think of it, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, he, he he kind of basically just jumped Prober from behind, you know. And uh, the, the, the coaster KO, I think, is is like the one thing I, I kind of give him, you know, and uh, even though that was sort of, you can argue was sort of like a semi jump job as well. So it's, it's really hard to like, you know, say, Oh, he deserves to be in the top 10, top 15. And it's really just, you know, even one of his most favorite rivalries, he kind of came out on the losing end against Tim Hunter. So it's, you know, it's really hard for me to boost him. I've just kind of, I've been down on Semenko lately, I guess, but he did make it. Well, there's, yeah, and there, it's funny with him, um, like we were saying before, <clears throat> he was one of those guys, like, growing up, of course, in the mid-80s, early 80s, we got on our TV, of course, we'd get the Oiler games on Hockey Night in Canada, so, I mean, you see a lot of Samanko stuff, and, 
and at the time, you know, you're 10, 11 years old, you're impressionable. And he just looks, and he was so big, even for that time. He's big now, by today's standards, he's big. So back then he was massive. And, uh, yeah, oh yeah. you know, and I I just remember like friends or like my dad, and them talking about cement head, you know, old cement head. And he had it built up that he was just like, you know, this indestructible force. And then you get older and you see the footage and then you get a player DVD and you're watching it. And like you said, it's kind of like, yeah, man, you know what? Hunter got the best of him a lot of times. And it's like, you know, or else if he was losing, he'd pull out the knee or the hair. Like you said, he didn't, he didn't care. He was going to do whatever it took. And like you said, oh, yeah. kind of, and like you said, the big wins really weren't there. And it's kind of like, eh, you know what? I mean, I always say in terms of like enforcement, he was one of the best, one of the best yeah. enforcers ever. Now, but that's completely different than fighter. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. And it, it, that is, it's funny the distinction because, like you said, when I go back and do like those yearly top ten lists, I almost have to put him up there. Like you know, maybe top five for a stretch. But it's when you're looking at it though, when you really like take a look at it, just you know, you're like, damn, it's you can't you can't leave him out of the top ten in those years because. There's no doubt he's most, you know, uh, probably the most feared guy around at that time, you know, and uh, so it's he, he's just a weird, a tough guy to rank, and it's almost like you said, if there's a separate category and you're just doing straight enforcers, you know, he's got to be top two or three ever. Yep, I'd agree. Well, uh, number twenty-two. Well, we're starting to, you know, we got kind of a new school guy, um, somewhat. Uh, Eric Karens. Yeah, Eric is a, a guy that, I mean, maybe maybe I've just kind of, you know, uh, become, I've started to appreciate him, you know, a little bit more as, as the years have gone by. I think, you know, when he was, when he first came up with New York, I think a lot of times, like, we're kind of guilty of judging a book by its cover. And I kind of make that case, I make mention of that a few times in his top 25 all-time project because there are certain fighters that kind of their first impression is is not like a favorable one you know we saw that with guys like Rob Ray Donald Brashear and Eric Hans is another perfect example I think he was a guy that kind of came up and you know right away his career was almost destroyed you know in its infancy you know with by Craig Berube and you know and uh, just you know he he almost you basically like he's got no chin you know, the guy's getting dropped or half dropped in fights. He's getting stunned. You know, and you're kind of like, yeah, he's kind of easy to write off. You know, like, oh, he's big, but he's, he, he can't take a punch. And then you fast forward to, uh, I think it was 99, 2000. He kind of had a breakout year with the Islanders. And I think at the time, it was, you know, maybe it's just my focus was elsewhere, but he really kind of rose through the ranks rather quickly with the Islanders. And, you know, you can even argue one year, he, you know, I mean, contended for the title, you know, if you kind of look at things like that, you know, and I really like Cairns, just a big, mean monster to throw for both sides, shed the jersey, you know, go all out. I really liked him. And, um, you know, he, he actually made the cut this time around, and, uh, you know, he fits. Yeah, no, like you said, yeah, well, I mean, you can't say, like you said, yeah, when he first came up, he was just a big kid, and it was like, yeah, and he's just having trouble, right? And it was just like, and he was so big. It was almost like, oh, man, like, is this like another Francois LaRue kind of thing? You know, like, come in with the massive rep, and he's so big, and then kind of he's getting dropped, and it's like, you know, you don't really see it. But uh, Yeah, 
And some of the guys that were tagging him, too, if I remember, I want to say one guy was, was it Thornton or Cruz? Um, they, they they caught him, and it was, you know, not that they knocked him out or anything like that, but you're just, like, seeing, like, you know, like, wow, these aren't even, like, you know, your classic heavyweights doing this. You know, and uh, it's, yeah, it was kind of like, damn, you know, like, oh, I guess it's not going to work out. Yep. Maybe, you know, it's kind of, you know, and it's tough not to, obviously, you know, if they're given some time to develop, you know, they can get better, but it didn't look good right away, you know, from Kansas. But, you know, what a way to, you know, turn things around, you know, the way he did. He basically went from sort of glass Joe to, you know, heavyweight champ almost, you know, or basically, I mean, you can argue for him, I think the year before the lockout, um, you know, he was, up. I think him and Matt Johnson had a great run that year. It was just uh you know, a very interesting turnaround in his career, and I really, you know, he became a great to me. Absolutely, I agree. Well, this next one, this will, uh, this I, to be completely honest, this name on this list surprised me. Um, number twenty-one was Wendell Clark. Yeah, it, it's it's like I mentioned when we were talking before. You know, we went on air here. You know. I come from a, a boxing background. My family was into it, you know, and my, I, I coach it. My son's involved and, you know, like any boxing fans, just like with the hockey fans, you know, we used to like, you know, Hey, who's your top, you know, greatest fighter of all, greatest boxer of all time. Who's your top 10, you know? And a lot of those lists don't include heavyweights. You know, they'll, they'll include like, you know, Ali at number th- three or four, or, you know, you'll see guys like Sugar Ray Robinson on there, Harry Greb, you know, Roberto Duran, a lot of guys that were non heavyweights. And I always, when you look at a lot of people's all time lists, they're very, very heavyweight heavy. You know, they're, they're almost all enforcers, all heavyweights, you know, they all have stacked fight cards, you know, and everything like that, you know, and I, I understand the whole argument with the, the fight card and the, you know, taking on the best competition, you know, but I always felt that these non heavyweights should be represented in an all time list, you know, and I, when I look at some of these, you know, middleweights or power forwards or light heavyweights, you know, however you want to refer to them, you know, I love seeing those guys that could really step up, you know, against the heavyweight like Wendell Clark could against Ben Wilson or Bob Probert, you know, like Jonathan could against Ben Wilson. You know, so that that's what always attracted me to those those style of fighters, and I really think they should be represented. I know a lot of people are not gonna, they're not into it. They they want to see the, the the stacked fight cards, the guys that were the heavyweights. You know, they want those guys, but I feel like the non heavy should be represented. And you know, there's Clark. Yeah. No, absolutely, and uh, <clears throat> it's funny as you're talking, I'm just kind of. Uh... You know, scrolling through his fight card, and uh, I mean, you know, and I, I mean, I'm a massive Wendell fan, and and everything. I was, um, you know, and like you said, uh, you know, some people are really fight card heavy too, right? Um, so, you know, I mean, sometimes he didn't fight the best competition. I mean, I mean, it certainly wasn't his his job to do that, but at the same time, fought Probert a bunch of times, McSorley a bunch of times, and always did well. Um, so right there, right? Yeah, I think he he obviously. I mean, and another thing too. Yeah, I I think when you when you, I look at Wendell, obviously he had I mean maybe a couple years. He might even be the last guy, last non heavyweight that is a top ten fighter. You can even argue that because I, I can't even remember anybody since that I would even think of putting in the top ten that was a non heavyweight. I mean, there might be a, a guy or two here and there that you can argue someone, but 
But I thought Clark, especially I want to say uh, 86, 87, when he beat Probert, um, you know, I want to say that was a year that you could argue for him being in a, you know, the, the top 10 that year. And usually, you know, the top 10, that's like the land of the heavyweights. You know, that's all all heavyweight fighters and everything like that. So he's kind of sipping rarefied air at that point as a basically a middleweight, you know, um, hanging with those guys. And, you know, to me, like when I think of those non-heavyweight fighters, I always look at those, those you know, big bouts against the heavyweights, you know, when they stepped up in class, you know, and, and like took on a Probert or a Wilson. You know, that that's what really impressed me with Wendell Clark. And to me, those fights with Wilson and, and Bob Probert kind of became fights for all time for him. Oh, absolutely. That's one thing to go completely, well, to just kind of veer off topic a little bit, but on the in terms of the NHL stuff, but the one thing, of course, growing up in Saskatoon, Wendell was such a big deal here. It always bugged me that there's no junior footage of him because um yeah yeah what's up with that oh it's brutal i wish but i know in so his Saskatoon re- doesn't have like a national archives with uh clark jr footage in there come on now i know you you would think so but man no the team <laughs> the team's got nothing believe me i've shook that bush as hard as you could possibly <laughs> shake it trying to find him and dave brown and joey coaster footage from the blades i'd uh you know but um i know in his retirement thing they kind of did a little highlight package, and there was a fight between him and uh, Shane Sherla in Medicine Hat. And man, oh man, you talk about you, those two guys just swinging. I'm like, oh, I need to find that whole fight somewhere. Like, like, yeah, yeah. I would. I'd Great matchup too. Oh yeah, and I mean, and you hear just like, and you hear people talking about the like Wendell's fights in the, in junior with like Sherla or. Cordic or Stu Grimson or Baumgartner and it's just like, oh man, I wish I had that stuff. But Yeah. Maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah, you never know what might turn up. Well at number twenty, oh speaking of blades, we got another blade. Um the late Wade Belak. Yeah, Bob Belak is a, another guy. I can like you know, a lot of these I guess um I guess we call them a, a 2000s fighter. I know he spent kind of the bulk of his career fighting sort of in that, that first decade of the 2000s, you know, but he was part of that sort of super heavyweight class, you know, that kind of, you know, sort of exploded in the, the late 90s. And, you know, all the enforcers that were coming in by then were monsters, it seemed. And uh, Belak was, was another one who, you know, sort of I liked to initially, and I kind of touch upon it, you know, I talk about the whole, you know, um, getting his nose broken by young Colton and how it kind of sent him into like a, a bit of a tailspin in his career. Cause he was really on high right before that happened. And, you know, it was kind of interesting scene. It was almost like he couldn't restart his career until he took Colton Orr on again. And um, I always thought those things were a little interesting because you could tell Belak got a little gun shy after that fight, kind of started to fight a little bit more cautious and, you know, using the Jersey jab a little more, and, you know, instead of trying to like sort of slug it out a little bit, and um, but it was interesting seeing him sort of get a measure of revenge and sort of get, regain that confidence. You know, I really like seeing, uh, especially Toronto Maple Leafs version of Belak. I thought was really good. I don't think he was really one of those guys that I ever looked at as like a, a true contender at that time. But he was really a rock solid top five, six, seven heavyweight in the NHL for a good stretch. And then, then he had the fight with Brashear. Yeah, you know, and he he landed. You know, 
you know how like John Elway has the drive. Yep. You know, and you know, so they have the drive. Well, I think Belak has the left. Because when Brashear traded last with him and he landed that oh so beautiful, crisp left hand that dropped Donald Brashear, I thought it kind of rewrote the whole heavyweight rankings. It catapulted Balak to the top. Brashear was essentially done. Malak was suddenly fading. You know, all of a sudden there was a little flux in the heavyweight division at that time. And I really thought Belak sort of put the exclamation point on it with that shot there because Brashear was having a pretty good year. And then that happened. You know, and it was, and he had also had a, a good series of fights with Bugard that year. And you can argue that he was uh, the top guy for that season. And, uh, yeah, I know he kind of faded in his last two years, but I really love Belak. And I remember one time someone, it was, I think, right, right after he, he died, someone had mentioned, what about him as a top 20 guy? And I was like, oh, no, no way. Nah, no, no. Nah. And then I'm I'm looking back, and I'm like, damn, that guy was hard to beat. He had some good fights, and obviously the cherry on top of that Brashear TKO was, you know, kind of like one of those big-time fights. And like I was talking to you earlier about, you know, you're looking for those notable victories, those big wins, you know, and you see something like that, like a huge victory like that, that's, you know, that's big for him, his all-time resume. <clears throat> no, I agree, and it was. Uh, and the one thing I always had with uh, Belak is, um, like, he, he he would always um, like even when he was coming up, he he would always sort of step up. Who depending on who he was fighting, he seemed to rise to the occasion a lot. Like even with the when he was in Calgary and he fought Probert, and then he fought and he always did well against LaRock and and these is when LaRock and Brashear and them were like you said cruising through the league. Belak was always there with him. Right, and he was always hanging with them. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was always like a thorn in their side. Yeah, you know, and the, and like the thing with Belak is, I mean, and to go to like we were talking earlier with some of these guys, like the fight card guys, you put Belak's fight card up against anybody's. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's 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 funny. I was. I forget who was I was speaking with this, this about, like, but we were basically talking about these, you know, the, the La Rock era type super heavyweights, you know, that kind of came up in that late nineties, early two thousands, you know, and all those guys, as the league continued to, you know, sort of like, you know, add the Batman package and you had all these restrictions on fighting a lot of, all those super heavyweights basically started fighting a shrinking pool of other super heavyweights. You know, um, the, the days of just going out there and fucking up Brad Marshan were, were kind of, you couldn't just do that anymore. Now that meant like 20 games to do something like that. You know, so now, infor- you know, the enforcing kind of became like, all right, my super heavy is going to take on your super heavy for something that that guy did. You know what I mean? And, and so these guys were all taking on each other, you know, numerous times. You got LaRock taking on Jody Shelley, George Parrow, Scott Parker, you know, they're, they're all taking each other on. So those cards from, the 2000s on are generally, especially the heavyweights, the enforcers, they're stacked. You know, they're taking on nothing but other top 10 heavyweights for the most part. You know, those LaRock, Bougard, you know, those guys have, McGratton have an incredibly high percentage of top 10 fighters that were top 10 that year that they fought. You know, it's incredible the amount of, uh, you know, talent they were taking on. No, absolutely. And, uh, and, and like you said, it was, uh, yeah, no, and uh, yeah, definitely. It'd be kind of, uh, 
you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, big weaponry going around in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, and that was the other thing with Belak that I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about as I'm sort of scrolling through and thinking, I don't remember him ever kind of getting dropped. No, no, he's, I, you know, you're right too. I don't really think, I can't think of, you know, I know he's had his, you know, a share of losses here or there, but I mean, even if you're looking for like bad losses, he he doesn't really like have very many. He was very tough to beat like straight up. You know, I only remember on a few, okay. I think I remember Jim McKenzie pumping him real quick, you know, in a fight, you know, and it was kind of like, I remember looking at it going, Oh shit. Wow. I don't remember Beeler ever getting, you know, lit up like that before, you know, that was kind of fast, you know, but that was McKenzie, you know, he was rapid fire, you know, and, yeah. And, um, but, but you're right. I don't, I don't remember him being dropped. And I, I remember we do the, you know, the, uh, matchups for the, the, you know, the John's hockey fight league. And, um, you know, whenever a BLAC matchup comes up, I always think of just how much, like how versatile he could be. You know, he, he didn't just sort of hit you with one thing, you know, he could kind of adapt, you know, but Brashear wants to trade less. Hey, no problem. I can trade less, you know, and boom, you know, so he kind of, he could kind of like, you know, adapt to the situation. You know, I always kind of like that about him. So he was always going to be a tough out for anybody, you know, at his, at his size and his ability, you know, but, but yeah, I really do think he ranks with the all 10 grades. I agree. Well, another, another leaf at 19 is uh Ty Domi. Yeah, you know it's funny. I, I remember when I first posted, people were like, "Really, nineteen? Are you kidding me? Like, oh, that's real. Oh, you're lowballing them." And I'm like, "Wow, it's it's funny because I'm looking at all the guys that I would have ahead of him, and it's really tough to vault him over them. You know, it. it I was kind of like, you know, it's hmm, you know, but he does have a lot of things going for him. I mean, for one thing, he was the small fighter of his era. You know, and he had such a long run, a fantastic card, um, big fights too. The, the the first two fights with Probert were, you know, big fights. I don't mean like you know they were they were big. You know, the height they were, you know, we they sort of resonate today. We still talk about them, you know. And I don't, you know, a lot of fighters don't have fights like that, you know, on their resume. You know, like another guy that I look at that I kind of left off the list, John Cordick. Um, one of my big beasts, he just never had that big fight with, you know, guys like Prober or Brown who were kind of like the big guns and, and you know how Domi was, he kind of came in with both guns blazing and, you know, I really, he did, you know, he wasn't just a sideshow. He really developed into like one of these, like, you know, really great top 10, you know, not a champ, but you know, a top solid top 10 heavyweight. And he's doing it at like what, five foot 10, you know, he's virtually the smaller fighter in every fight he was in and, you know, it was. It's hard not to think about those things, especially with the kind of success that he had. You know, he, you know, he didn't always, you know, beat Probert. You know, but he, you can claim that he beat him. You know, and you can argue that he beat Simon. You know, you can argue that he beat McCarthy. You know, he might have lost to those guys, but he also proved that he could beat him too. So, you know, he's just with everything you put together, it's such a great case can be made for him. But you know, a lot of people are like, oh, he should be top ten. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know if I should put him up that high. I, I think a lot of what I look at is, you know, where do these fighters rate during their own time? You know, like if, if you know, if Domi can, you know, maybe he was like a top five guy at his best, you know, as a, as a fighter, you know, and he had a good run where he was sort of in that mix, 
you know, but I'm probably going to have the guy that was, you know, the top three, top two guy, you know, for a stretch a little higher than him. You know, I kind of, that's sometimes how I look at it. You know, obviously Domi would have a greater card than anybody from the seventies. So I can't just put him ahead of everybody, you know, from the seventies. So it's, you know, when you start trying to break it down, that's how I look at it. He was a fighter. I don't know if he was elite, but he had a great overall career. And with his size, his card, you know, great fights. You know, I really like him there. And, you know, you can definitely argue him a few spots higher if you want. No, I yeah, I would have, I definitely have him, like you said, I mean, at this point, it's, you know, everything's interchangeable um, for the most part. I mean, in this section, you know, especially that 10 to 25 section, I think you really could. You move guys around, and uh, but um, yeah, I'd have Domi where you got him. I agree. Um, the next cat is a uh, well, personal favorite of mine is uh, Craig Berube at eighteen. You know, it's funny is um, whenever I whenever I make my all time my my all time rankings, I've I've almost never like wavered on where Barubi ranks it always it's always in this sort of like late teens area you know and it's been like that for so long and I remember one time someone was like oh I see like Barubi on a lot of these top 25 lists you know and I don't understand it I was kind of like wow somebody would actually question that well he's got at least two legitimate clear victories over the guy who's number one all the time yeah you know and so that's huge you know just in and of itself you know and then you just, you know, this, his whole career is run as, you know, one of the best fighters in the game is, you know, top, top 10 fighter in the league and, you know, big victories, great fights with Polishek Donnelly, uh, dropping uh, young Eric Cairns and almost wrecking his career before it got started. You know, it's just, you know, there's a lot going on. Plus just his overall longevity as a fighter, you know, when you think of how late long he did his thing, you know, I know he wasn't like the champ when he retired or anything like that, but he was still kind of that old grizzled warrior, you know, and, um, you know, this, when you look at the card, his run during his prime, the big victories, it's, you know, it's, he has a definite case. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I mean, whoever would, doesn't understand Barubi in the top 25. I mean, I, fuck buddy what are you looking at like i, I, like, I hit it was the first time i questioned it i goes what what really i'm like no 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 he's rock solid now he's rock solid oh yeah you know i mean and like you said you just look and i mean you know the big wins with uh like you said you know uh probert and mcsorley and i mean he had um uh, you know and really i'm trying to think like outside of like huge losses I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the, I mean the, the laws won and stuff, but I mean, um, yeah, he had the tough game against the um, Miller and Byers. Oh, was, right, right, right. Yeah. I think it was this. Yeah, it was rookie year. And I, you know, that, to me, that's like like growing pains for an enforcer. You know, how how are you going to be whooping Bob Roberts' ass and then you know looking like shit at the spectrum against the Bruins? You know, it's like kind of like one of those. But he was young, you know, and. Taking yeah. on different fighters, different styles, and things like that is, you know, those, those are kind of the growing pains that you have. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he was such a rock solid, you know, fighter for you know a good stretch. You know that, um, you know it. It you can probably say from maybe his Philadelphia days through maybe his first few years in Washington, and then you can kind of see that there was a bit of a fade out. You know, with with Ruby kind of coming out of the top ten. You know, and um. 
you know, I think that uh, at that point you could see he faded, but he was still one of those guys that was a veteran tough guy, but, you know, could beat you at any night, you know, and any night was one of those kind of guys. No, I completely agree. Yeah, and, uh, well, and another guy uh, at 17, uh, Big Stu Grimson. Yeah, yeah, Big Stu, it's, it's, it's funny. I remember I used to rank him higher than this. I used to flirt with him as a top 10 guy just because of uh, – you know, just the run he had in the, you know, the nineties is, you know, I thought for a while there, he's like sort of like, you know, a top three, top four fighter. You can argue that he was at the top guy, 96, 97, when he was with Hartford, you know, like he kind of another guy that sort of maybe struggled in his first few years, you know, with his balance yeah. and taking some tough losses, you know, but really turned things around, you know, in his career and became, a, you know, a general force, you know, to be reckoned with, you know, it, especially, when the league got bigger and bigger, he was sort of like, he was already six foot five. He was very thin when he first broke in, but you know, he sort of adapted. He was a big six, five when, when everything, uh, when all the super heavyweights really started entering the league. And, you know, that's why he was able to hang with those guys, you know, Parker's and guys like that. You know, he's still a top five fighter at that time. And then he had a tough loss to, to La Rock and, you know, in the one Oh two and his career kind of went into a downward trend and, you know, and uh, but I think it's just I think when you look at the card, the big fights, the you know, he fought absolute wars in some occasions, and you know, have some notable victories himself. You know, and um, I, I I honestly think that you can't really put him above some of those guys. He would he was one of those guys that was always like outside the elite crop. You know, always like outside the Browns and Proberts. Always sort of outside the Bashir, Lalax, and McCarthy's, you know, when they, when they were all on the rise, you know, but he was always right there as one of the top heavyweights. And, you know, I, he's, to me, he's just like a, a rock solid top 20 guy that, you know, everyone should have on their list. No, I agree. And like you said, um, you know, when, when he first kind of started up in Chicago, he was just like, yeah, he kind of, you know, little, just like the tall, lanky, you know, kind of Bambi-ish on ice a little bit and um, oh, yeah. kind of seemed to get overpowered a lot. But then, uh, yeah, when he kind of, he kind of grew, like like all of those guys, right, you got to, you know, you grow into it. And, uh, you know, he really started kind of rolling there in Chicago. And then, you know, when he got to Anaheim and stuff, that's when, uh, you know, he, he really took off from there. Yeah, and it, it's funny because the, the league used to, you know, used to have – a numerous stories like that, you know, didn't you? Like, you know, at a, at a at one time in the NHL, you could come in and not be a very great fighter, but still learn the ropes, develop, and have a long career for yourself. You know, there was there was such a thing as that happening at one point. You know, nowadays, you know, you know, barely get these young kids up to even get a fight. You know, and let alone develop into you know, go from a a tough start as a fighter to becoming a top fighter. You know, it's. It's, you'll never really see anything like that anymore. No, exactly. No, yeah, and that was the thing, right? It was everybody, yeah, you kind of had the, yeah, all, everybody kind of went through growing pains, and I think at that point it was just, uh, you know, teams were just looking for guys that would basically would do it and would do the role. And then, uh, yeah, it was like a lot of these guys was like, you know, baptism by fire, right? And it was... Uh, sink or swim but uh you still there 
Yeah, hello. Oh, yeah. Okay, I thought I lost you. I thought I clicked off. Um, but uh, yeah, well, so uh, well, number sixteen. We're we're into the uh, we're a new school here. Boogie, <laughs> Derek Bugard. Yeah, you know he's a. It's it's you know when he you know tragically passed away, it it you you can't help but kind of like look back on on you know the career that he had and you know I, obviously I know he was such a huge you know man a monster of a man you know but we've we've seen plenty of guys that were monsters that you know just they couldn't throw a punch to save their lives so they you know they just were terrible fighters you know big guys would throw a few punches and fall but you know Bugard I thought was really special and I thought he was one of those guys that you know when right after the lockout when when you know the league was you know trying to win back the fans and all of a sudden you had a guy like a Bugard, you know, in the league. And, you know, obviously there was other guys like McGratton and Orr, you know, there was a lot of excitement, I think, in the, the heavyweight ranks at that time. And, you know, when you look at Derek Bugard, even though his career wasn't very long, he was essentially an elite fighter the whole time he was in the NHL. You know, he was the scariest guy, the biggest guy, the probably the arguably the biggest puncher, you know, in the NHL that entire time. You know, and that kind of goes a long way with me. You can argue that he was even champ for a year or two in the very back end. And, you know, um, you know, I, I really think that, you know, he sort of stood out, you know, above many of the other fighters at that time. And, you know, to me, he's very deserving in that spot. Some people, they thought he should be top 10. And then there's other people like, I don't think he even belongs. And, you know, so you, you kind of don't really get a huge consensus. But I like him where I have him. Yeah, no, and like you said, there's, there's definitely... Um... Yeah, there's kind of the two schools of thought, right? I mean, like you said, you got people that will put him in the in the top ten, and then other people just, you know, he didn't have the fight, like uh, wasn't around long enough, uh, didn't have the amount of fights, um, you know, like that. Kind yeah, of- see, a lot of people are big on that too. That, that you know, he didn't have like earth shattering fight totals, but you know, at his size and with his power, he wasn't. He was only taking on a small amount of guys in the NHL, anyways. You know, it wasn't like this guy was going to just drop him with a guy like, you know, uh, Rafi Torres or something like that. You know, I mean, he was he, he was going to go after the big guns, you know, it, and, and um, you know, at his size, he probably had no choice. But, um, you know, he was just, a you know, an absolute monster. And I think that, you know, you kind of do have to take a look at him, you know what I mean? And if you're if you're going to start ranking these guys, you're going to find yourself uh, approached with the Derek Bugard question. You know, he, he but I, I feel he definitely belongs. Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, you start going through it, and I mean, you know, I mean, you got big wins like, you know, knockout wins against like Brookbank, and hey, you got like, you know, McGratton, and, uh, you know, he, he always had a bit of trouble against Goddard, but, uh, you know, overall, though, it's, um, yeah, he, uh, you know, when you, when you got him taken, you know, taken down. McGratton a bunch of times and uh, McIntyre and I mean you know and Colt Nor and I mean like you said the guy's just so big and just yeah like I mean it, it's been you know brought up and we were talking about it on Twitter there a little while ago and you know I you know if I sat down and wrote one out I'd have I'd have no problem putting Boogie in my top 10 really I mean uh, he, he was unbelievable yeah. for sure yeah, he. he I, I, and one of the things that, that I always kind of like look back, and you know, of course, I'm a big, I'm big on, you know, that these guys have to have 
those notable victories against big fighters. And, I mean, what a series that he had with Brian McGrath, who was a guy that, you know, spoiler alert, I have ranked higher. You know, so it's it's interesting when you look at, you know, that kind of breakdown that he could take on a guy like him, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, so to me that's a big, huge boost on, you know, his all-time, you know, resume when you look at it. Oh, absolutely. And um, while at 15, uh, Chris Simon. Yeah, you know, um, you know, he's another interesting guy when you kind of break him down and you look at his overall career. You know, he's got sort of that four years or so at the very beginning of his career and where he was, you know, legitimate, you know, top fighter. You know, I know some people like to argue, you know, he was, you know, champ for a year or so, you know, right around the time with the Quebec, Colorado, you know, and then I, um, you know, it, then he kind of had like a fall off, you know, I think he had shoulder issues and, you know, I think he was, I think he wanted to be a better player and, you know, he was trying to kind of do that thing in Washington. And, you know, so there was, you know, a, a kind of a, a drop off with him there where we sort of kind of really didn't discuss him in those terms anymore. You know, so um, I always thought that was, and then he sort of rejuvenated himself later in his career. And, you know, he kind of had like a resurgent later, later in his career and, you know, kind of entered the rankings again, so to speak. And, you know, I just think when you look at it overall, he's got obviously some of the biggest victories that you can claim, you know, as an all-timer, as Probert and Brown, you know, and um, a run as an elite fighter, you know, it's it's kind of hard to keep him out of the top 20, I think. No, I agree. It, it, to me, yeah, with the Simon thing, I guess, you know, there's always sort of that what-if, too factor you know of course he had the shoulder problems and, and i mean that really slowed him down but but then other time like you said he uh he'd have you know he'd have flashes of it um you know and he'd go on that run like just you know when he gets to new york right you kind of think you know at that point he's kind of eh, maybe he's done or whatever because you know when he was in chicago it was sort of eh, you know but then gets to new york and you know goes on a bit of a run again and, uh, you know, and then in Calgary and stuff, looks good again with Brook Bank. And, and well, and then he, he had the good fight with Booger and stuff. So, you know. Uh, yeah. He's kind of, it was weird how he, he kind of like fell off. You know, I, obviously he was, you know, well-known name. You know, guys like us know him and everything like that. But, you know, he as a fighter, you could tell there was like that, almost like a sagging in his middle middle part of his career. You know, where he wasn't, you know, at the dominant, you know, lefty, you know, Chris Simon with the left hand loose that we were kind of like used to seeing, you know, and, you know, and then it was good to see him kind of put it back together later, later in his career, you know, was, he was still around, still he became relevant again, you know, and uh, taking on some of them young guns, you know, so that was, you know, that was, you know, I think really good for him as well. And, but again, I still, you know, when you're talking top 20, he's definitely in the discussion. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Well, number 14, you got uh, Bob Nystrom. Yeah, Nystrom, it's funny because he, he was one of those guys that was always like a fringe top 10 guy with me, you know, and as, as time has gone on and as, you know, other fighters have retired and entered the all-time, you know, debate, you know, he's kind of like, you know, faded a little bit in the rankings. But, you know, it's funny, is you know, huge victories, you know, at that time uh, when you look back and you see, you see him, you know, he's standing toe-to-toe against Larry Playfair and winning and John Winsink and, you know, had an incredible run, 
uh, is one of the league's top fighters, you know, probably a top five fighter for a good stretch there from, you know, the um, mid to late 70s through to the, you know, through the early 80s. You know, he had such an impressive run. Um, you know, and it's funny, like like you said, back in those days, you know, Clark Gillies was always sort of the, the man, the heavyweight on that team. You know, but it's funny when now we, we all kind of like look back, a lot of people like this, oh, maybe Nystrom was a better fighter, you know, and stuff like that. You know, there's little debates click off like that. But I really love uh, Nystrom, you know, in this range. Um, he used to be a little bit higher for me, but, you know, I like where he's at right now. No, oh, I agree. And, and, you know, definitely one of the all-time great power forwards. And, uh, but, you know, before anybody knew what that term was back then. But, um no, unbelievable. And like you watch him fight and it wide open, let her go. And, uh, yeah, I've been kind of, uh, I was going through some seventies DVDs a while ago and, uh, and, and he's on there quite a bit. And, uh, I found myself really getting into Nystrom. I mean, you know, once you kind of, you know, and then get on YouTube and kind of look him up and yeah, he, he's fun to watch. That's for sure. Yeah. He had a, you know, just a you know great chin. You know, it's funny. I, I think I was, um, I make mention of it, but, you know, there's an early career in Nystrom, you know, where he's, you know, a good fighter, but he's, you know, the clean shave in Nystrom. You know, uh, if you ever go back and see some of those fights, you know, he's got, he doesn't have the, the mustache yet. But then there's the, you know, the mustache Nystrom that, you know, we, we all kind of know, you know, just going to war with people, you know, and, you know, get that chin out there on a silver platter and he's just taking bombs and just walking right through them. You know, it's just, you know, to me, that was always really impressive because, you know, there's a guy with no helmet on, just, you know, not caring, you know, just going to war out there and, I also thought he was one of those fighters that, you know, when you watch his fights, you know, obviously there's a, you know, the great action pack, you know, toe to toe stuff, but he was one of those guys, like a lot of great fighters that you could see. He just did not want the fight to end. If he thought that you might've had an edge on him, he was like one of those guys that would get sort of stronger as the fight went on. You know, a lot of times you catch guys sort of just hanging on at the end while he was trying to get loose, you know, and I love that about him. I love that kind of, that desire, you know, to, to, you know, to win the fight, you know, so that's, that's, that that was like unique and great fighters. And, you know, you could really see it in Nystrom. No. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. Yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. I've never actually thought, well, now that I think about it, yeah, you're right. Yeah. He had that, like, just, you know, just uh, almost like stay out of it until, uh, yeah, I'm not done here yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not done yet. I think he might, this might be a draw. I need to go over the Give me another minute. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, number 13, you got big Jim McKenzie. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's funny. There's been this like phenomenon recently and I, I don't know if you know, maybe the last few years and maybe I'm just the one that hasn't caught the vibe yet, but you know, there's a lot of people that are real high on McKenzie as like a top 10 all time guy, you know, and um, I just, you know, it's, you know, I, I love McKenzie. He was, he's one of those fighters who to me had like all the tools to no. be like, like you know, when when Probert was doing his thing, I was always interested in that's you know the next Crowder to come in and challenge for his throne. And when Mackenzie first came up with Highford, I said, Jesus Christ, this fucking guy's got it. He's six foot three, two hundred twenty five pounds. He throws as fast as a middleweight and switches just as fluid as Wendell Clark. I said, this guy is going to be something. He's got all the tools. And you could really, like, maybe argue that maybe he didn't have that killer instinct, you know? Like, he, he was one of those guys that was very much into, like, the fair play, straight-up fights, you know, let the fight end amicably, you know what I mean? Like, that kind of thing. You know, he's sort of like a precursor to the code fighters that we would see in the 2000s. Yep. 
You know what I mean? And uh, he wouldn't punch you when you were down or anything like that, or very rarely. You know, um, but other than that, I really thought, like, initially when he first broke in, he was going to be the next great thing. You know, I know he was kind of stuck in Hartford, you know, but it, uh, great is great. You know, and he, he had it in spades, I thought. And, uh, it's weird how things went with him, where it almost seemed like, for all the, you know, great tools that he had, it was almost like he never really put himself up there as like like a champ, you know. I know I kind of throw that word out there, but you know, like with all the great fighters at the time, he never really entered that sort of discussion. Even though he had obvious tools, obvious ability, great fight card, obviously you know action packed fights and big big victories, but he just seemed to. I don't know how to explain it. Just never really contended for the title, I guess, you know. And, that's why, like, when I think of the top 10 all the time, I'm always looking at those guys that were champs, you know, guys that were, you know, contending for the title. You can argue they were the best, you know, and things like that. And I, I always thought that McKenzie was sort of, like, outside of that group, you know, but I really do like uh, McKenzie where I have him. It, you know, it, I think he's just not at that elite level to be in the top 10. But, I mean, I mean, who's to argue? It's just three spots away. No, I agree with you. Um, yeah, it just kind of, yeah, with McKenzie, it was always, um, like I watched a like a player DVD of his, and it, it's almost like you, when you're done, it's like it's good, but there was like, it, it, it could have been better. You always sort of had that, fee- but you don't know why, but it's just like, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, Yo, yeah. you know, it's like it was good, but it was like, I don't know, and it's like I don't want to say he didn't want it or whatever, because I mean he 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 went, you know, he fought everybody, and but it was just like, like you said, he was just one of those guys that it was like, okay, uh, you've hit me a few times, I've hit you a few times, ah, okay, we're good, you know, yeah, yeah, and it was like, oh, no, you're absolutely right, and it's like, and every once in a while when he would get pissy and he would snap, like you could just ask old poor. Uh, Daryl Sador, I mean, like Mackenzie <laughs> friggin' near almost killed him. But you'd like you'd see him do that shit, and so it, so you knew he had it in him to get really mad and and pissy. And it's like, oh, if he fought like that all the time, this would be a completely yeah. different discussion. Yeah, it's funny. It was kind of like you know, not not that I it, like you know, obviously I'm a guy that you know grew up loving guys like Brown and Cemento, You know, the guys that didn't give a shit and would just start fucking you. You know, but um, with McKenzie, you know, you, you could obviously, it's just like you said, I remember watching him fight Parker. Um, I believe it was, McKenzie was in Anima, Anaheim at the time, and he fought Parker. And I remember they come together, you know, Parker tries to get the rights going, McKenzie does this little switching thing, and then it's almost like he just stopped. And he's like holding him at arm's length, and, you know, Parker's still maybe trying to get a couple in. And then they sort of just, okay, it's over. You know what I mean? Like, ah, that's it. But McKenzie could be like that a lot. Like, you know, like, all right, I threw my few, you threw your few. All right, we're good. You know, almost kind of like, you know, you, you'd see, you know, in the you know, later, you know, 2000s or, or whatever, you know, with all these guys, it's sort of like the code, you know, warriors, you know, they, they would never punch you after the linesman got in there or hit you while you were down. It seemed almost like McKenzie was like kind of cut from that cloth a little bit. You know, he was kind of really believed in the, the rules of fair play and fighting and, you know, and all that stuff, but that's, you know, Gentleman Jim. Exactly, yeah. Um, where are we? Number 12, Marty McSorley. Yeah, Marty's, um, 
you know, it's it's really it's funny because he kind of like you know he's like one of those all time names like when you t- think of fighting. Yep. You know, you're like, oh yeah, Bob Prober, Marty McSorley, you know. But Marty's another guy who I never really, I never really thought of as really taking a run at being a champ, you know. But while saying that, I thought he had a just tremendous run as a an enforcer and fighter in the NHL, and you know, unbelievable chin, tremendous stamina, tremendous fight card, you know, you name it. He has it. He's got epic wars on his fight card, great fights of all kinds of, you know, unbelievable fighters, big wins on his resume. You know, and it's, it's, I mean, I've seen people rank him in the top 10 and I, I honestly couldn't argue it just because of, you know, the, you know, the, the amount of just tremendous fights he had, great career. It's really hard to argue that, you know, and I have him in at 12, so he's not too far off, you know, but, you know, what a great, one of my all time favorites is Marty and just, um, you know, like when you look back at his career, there's just so much going on there. You know, it's like, all right, well, he's in. (laughs) You know, he's just got down, you know, so much, you know, big, big wins, you name it, you know, big, huge, like, stamina fights, too, edging out McCarthy at two huge marathons and getting a better playfair and going to war with Probert in 94. You know, he was a a special one. No, absolutely. And, I mean, another one of those guys that, uh, you know, you know, at the end, and unfortunately with Marty, I mean, of course, the Brashear thing will always be what he's known for now, which, you know, is unfortunate because, I mean, I always said, well, the guy played 930 games before that happened. You know, how about we talk about those? Yeah. You know, but um, again, going back to that discussion, what we had about Semenko, funny that they're both Oiler guys, but <clears throat> in terms of enforcing, one of the best enforcers of all time. I always say probably the best enforcer of all time. That's just how I see it. Because uh, he yeah. would he would cross the line if he had to and not give his shit about doing it either. Like, dude was cold, oh, yeah. man. Like even on my YouTube channel when I put that interview up with him from the from the documentary there, that little ten minute interview, and he's basically breaking down the enforcer role. And it's like you get a new age fan to watch that, and like they think they're watching like you know Richard Klinsky or whatever the Iceman, you know, watching them. Like, <laughs> they're, they're that scared of him, but I mean that's just the way it was. And that's how he approached it in the eighties or well, for his whole career, that's how he approached it. You know, and I always say, well, there's a reason Gretzky didn't get touched. Right. Oh yeah. You know, it's, yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's funny, but I take, uh, when you just mentioned about, you know, McSorley's interview there, you know, for the documentary. And I, I remember there's that clip that was on YouTube from a, I think it was an Oilers uh, documentary from back when he was on the team. And, um, he's, you know, you can see he's young and fresh faced and, you know, he's giving the interview and he's talking about how he's, you know, with his dad on the farm and, you know, the, the dog come running out of the, you know, out of the, you know, the tree line and jumped up in the uh, wagon with them. And they saw that there was like a coyote had chased it. So his father took the dog and threw it right back into the fight, you know, and he was basically like, you know, kind of like a life lesson for him. And you, you think about that and you're kind of thinking about like, geez, this is how he was raised. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? He's taken to that mentality out on the ice, you know, too, you know, so he was, I love that he, right. He was very rigid in the way he kind of went about being enforcer. It's like, he really can't even talk about all time fighters without bringing up Marty McSorley. It's just, you know, just a great career. Like when I think about it, I just think of that excellent career he had, how even late in the game when, you know, they took the whole jersey shedding thing away from him, and, you know, he was still having epic wars. You know, it's just, you know, he was just a great, you know, just an all-time great fighter. Uh, no, absolutely. And like you said, even right till the bitter end, I mean, 
you know, there was there was never going to be, if you were playing McSorley, there was never a night off. Like, if you were going to mess around, it didn't matter what the score was, when it was, who you were, you, you were going to pay for it right then and there. There was none of this, oh, yeah. oh I'll see you next month, or I'm going to block you on Twitter. You know, there was, none of, <laughs> there was none of that shit. It was like, oh, we're going to deal with this right now. Oh, you're not going to do it? All right. I'm going to, I'll go, I'll drill you with, you know, from behind or whatever. I'll throw you into the boards or like, you know, it didn't matter. He was going to get you and to prove a point. Oh yeah. And I've seen, it's funny too, because like you said, you go through his like player DVDs, you know, you you see him like, you know, he goes over to, you know, he plays in Edmonton, he's doing his thing there and then he goes over to LA and then he goes right after fucking Mark Messier. (laughs) You know what I mean? Exactly. teammate. You know what I mean? He's just like, I don't care. Like, you know, you're, you're doing something I don't like. I think you just ran one of my star players. I'm coming at you. I don't care if you just bought me dinner a few weeks ago. It's on now. You know what I mean? Uh, so that's what I love that about him. Uh, and also, I want to just put a little message out there for Leafs Nation that I think Marty McSorley definitely beat Wendell Clark in that epic playoff fight. All right? So I don't know if anybody has a convincing argument other than, did you see his eye? Like, I need to hear more than that. I just thought I'd throw that out there. That's what I said. Uh, in, in terms of visual, Wendell won. But if you actually watch the fight, no. When Mark, Wendell, <laughs> Wendell landed one, and then, uh, and well, and that, and that shows you McSorley right there. I mean, did not go down. Most guys would have just shut it down right then. He just kept coming, and he was still ready to. Oh, yeah. Like, he was still firing on all cylinders, and Wendell was completely gassed, you know, and, uh, yeah. and Marty was still going. Oh, and that was like so many of his fights, right? It's just unbelievable stamina. Oh, yeah. Like those ones, like when he's in San Jose, when he fights Langdon and he fights Reed Simpson, it's just like. Oh, jeez. Like, minute and a half fights, like they were nothing. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, just going and going. Like, I mean, when you're tiring out Darren Langdon, you know, you know it's, <laughs> it's like, oh, he was unbelievable. And like I said, and like to go, I mean, later in his career, yeah, Brashier got him a bunch, you know, a bunch of times. But, you know, in those Edmonton LA years, um, you know, when he really came into his own. You know, I don't, I don't really remember Marty really getting thrashed really bad. No, no, you're right. He was always like always in like even that for like when Probert was in eighty seven, eighty eight, that great year he had. You know, um, one of the great seasons for a fighter that we ever saw. Uh, there was McSorley, you know, going battling out right there, you know, tooth and nail with him, you know, and not looking too shabby himself, you know. And so, you know, he was, you know, definitely like legitimate, no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, and Tin was always on display, too. He always had a great chin, taking bombs, and just, like you said, against Carr, just kind of walking through it, you know? Yeah. Unless... Yeah, you're, just a great fighter. Unless you're Jim Corn. Apparently, Jim Corn <laughs> was Marty's kryptonite, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, what was up there? That that was, yeah, that was sort of an anomaly, kind of like, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think. I remember, didn't I... Rich Pilon beat Craig Berube one time. You know, you're kind of like, what the hell? You know, yeah. like, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I guess everyone has one of those on their resume, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, number 11, uh, Brian McGratton. Big earn. Yeah, he was, you know, it's funny. And, um, you know, I was like, when I was thinking of like, all right, when I, you know, do like the rest of the top 50 and, you know, I, I posted, you know, Maybe I'll I'll do like a reordering and 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 McGrath will be top ten or something like that. I just think that he's really in that discussion. You know, um, there's so much going for him. You know, just 
you know, big guy, great enforcer during an enforcer era, you know, uh, arguably the last, like, true champ, you know, that we had when there were still enforcers around, um, epic fights, you know, he had some of the, you know, most action-packed, you know, heavyweight fights that we really saw, you know, big victories on his resume, you know, great run, I mean, his entire career is essentially a top-five fighter, heavyweight contender, you know, so, I mean, there's just so much going on there that it's it's hard to you know, keep him out of, you know, you know, the top 10 or he's definitely in that discussion, you know, so I like him where he is, but he can obviously move on up. No, I agree. Um, yeah, I'd probably have him in the top, my top 10. Um, well, I definitely have him in my top 10. Um, but yeah, and he's one of those guys that, um, yeah, once he kind of established himself, I mean, some unbelievable fights in the American League. And then, uh, you know, you see his fight with Josh Gratton, which might be one of the best hockey, well, not might be, it is one of the best hockey fights of all time. And, um, you know, and then just with Sugden and Goddard and all those guys. And then um, then you see him in the NHL. And, I mean, you know, he has the big win over Domi when he's in Ottawa just starting out. And, uh, you know, it's like, holy shit. Oh, I loved it when he took it to Brashear. You know, he, was, he took it to Brashear, and then he touched it the whole time. He was in the box, too. It was that was one of those things. Brashear read it the wrong way, but, you know, seeing McGrath and sort of like, fuck you, like, fuck you, I'll beat you again. Like, you know, I just love that attitude from the young fighter. You know, he was, he was brash. I'll tell I'll give you that, you know, when he first came in. But, you know, kind of, I love that, like, 05, 06 era there. Like, you know, it was almost like we started to kind of get another influx of, you know, great fighters with Orr and Bulgard and McGratton, you know, it was kind of like, it certainly drew my interest again when things started, start, started getting stale with the whole lockout, you know, yeah. and then you see these guys go out there was, and guys like McGratton, even Bulgard, even though a lot of guys didn't want to really go all out against them, they had that old school, you know, I'm going to, you know, kill or be killed mentality, you know, really love that about them, you know, so they, that kind of made them special at that time, but McGratton is, you know, no doubt he's an all timer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, here we are in the top 10. Um, well, number 10, Tony Twist. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny when, when I first, when I first posted this and started putting out there, there were people that were like, you know, like, oh, he's like, he's top five. What do you mean? Like, he's Tony Twist top five. I'm like, oh, and I, you know, okay. You know, if you think so, that, you know, that's cool. But, you know, I have a, a sort of a like a different feel for Twist, and I think I even went back and forth with some people on Twitter about it, especially some you know former teammates of his. And like you know, he is absolutely the most feared fighter of his time. Yep. And I think he was an elite. You know, probably from that second stint in St. Louis from '94, '95 until his you know end of his career in '99. I thought he was absolutely in the, the elite you know, fighter mix. Arguably the best power puncher. You know. Um, you know, you can even claim, you know, make the case that he was champ for a year or two, you know, at, at that time. I really think, you know, and looking back on it, I really think McCarthy was right up there as well. You know, and I, a lot of, I think a lot of the, like, stigma attached to McCarthy comes from his last few years. So people look back and like, ah, oh, no, he wasn't, he wasn't anything like Twist, but he was legitimately one of the better fighters in the game at that time, along with Twist and Simon around that that little time frame there and you know but i i really do think highly of twist i he's obviously he's in my top 10 you know and i you know i just for some that you know are saying he's like top five i just i don't know if i would vault him that high but 
you know, no doubt about it. He was a scary, scary man. And, you know, he's, he's got the big wins. He's got the, you know, the broken bones, you know, to prove it. And, you know, I like, I like where he is. No, I agree. Uh, the, the one thing with twist that always, it was always a shame. We never, we, I, we never got to see the, the great Probert twist fight. It was, you know, their fights were, I, I don't know how many, four or five times, but their fights were never, never really amounted to too much. Um, which was unfortunate. Um, and then of course, twist career getting cut short with the motorcycle accident, which was a real shame because at that point, that late nineties twist was so souped up and was on such a roll that it would have been really interesting to see a couple more years out of him like that. Yeah. He's, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's funny because he kind of like went out on top, right? You know, yeah. um, yes, he did. He was sort of acclaimed as like, you know, at that time, and I think it was at 99, he was kind of like the best thing, you know, the, you know, the beast in the heavyweight division, you know, but there was always something about twist and especially with like a lot of the people were, you know, kind of pumping him for, you know, Hey, he was champ. And he seemed like he'd go on a roll and then boom, he would have like a, just a bad loss. You know, I remember like in that one year there was, I think he beat Antoski, beat Ray, you know, and he was just really like, I think he beat Probert that year too, and Probert cut his hand. I, I might be getting a year wrong, but he really went on a run. And then at the end, you know, he had those, you know, two tough losses, you know, and, um, yeah, you know, to, uh, Heward and LaRue. To, uh, Heward and LaRue, yeah, and it's, you know, like, it's, it's like, oh, you're trying to, you know, you thought that would be like sort of a coronation for him, but then you're kind of like, ah, you know, damn, he just got kind of lopped in two straight fights and we're trying to say he's champ. You know, that's like kind of hard, you know, to make that case. And then I always thought there was sort of like questions lingering about him at the time. And, you know, but he obviously kind of, you know, rebounded for, you know, very well from that. You know, I think the only other really, I guess, major loss and it's a, I know a lot of people like to argue it was a Todd Ewan fight. I think it was the following year. Yeah. And um, that was the one where he got dropped, but he kept throwing punches at Ewan and cut Ewan, you know, and, you know, he just got dropped and he was kind of pointing at Ewan's face, you know, like, oh, he got cut and sticking his tongue out. And I remember watching him, like, yeah, but you just got dropped. You just got dropped, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But it was kind of like, you know, I, I get it. You're all pumped and. You know, and he's Tony Twist, you know, and everything like that. So I, I would have loved to have seen another one between them two. But, um, you know, but it was just one of those things. It was like, right when you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Twist is the man. Something like that would pop up, you know. But, you know, and uh, but I still think he was such a beast. And, um, you know, obviously the most feared man on the planet at that time. And, you know, I'm sure a few guys are, you know, would rather take on some of the, you know, lower tier guys and take on Twist, you know, when he came to town. So, um, I remember someone saying that Kelly Chase's dance card got real full, you know, when Twist was in the lineup, you know, because guys didn't want to take him on. They'd rather take on Chaser, and, you know, and stuff like that, you know. But, um, you know, I really think, you know, you can obviously, I think he's top 10 all time. And, you know, people can argue higher. But I like where I have him at. No, yeah, it, uh, yeah, absolutely. Twister. Um, like I said, it's, it's one thing. You could definitely tell a guy when he makes guys fight different like when you would see langdon and reed simpson who then those two guys fought everybody and and would control fights and everything when they're basically covering up against twist and holding on and i mean you could you could definitely see 
just the power that the guy had. And I mean, it was like riding a bull, right? And these guys are just trying to get oh, out yeah. of there alive, you know? So yeah, no, he was something. Yeah. And it, yeah. He had, he kind of had one of, he's like one of those few fighters. Like, you know, I think through, throughout the ages, there's always like that one or two guys. Like I think Coaster was one was like that. And Twist is one of those guys where guys are almost half beaten before they took them on. You know, yeah. like you said, they're just trying to survive. They're not even trying to win at that point. It's just like, uh, I don't know uh, if you're familiar with Tyler Morrison, um, but I remember years ago he just, you know, he made this sort of analogy that, you know, Twist is like that ride at the, you know, the the amusement park. You know, he's, you, know, you want to go for the ride, but you know it's going to be dangerous as fuck all. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So it's, you know, kind of, you know, it's one of those things. But, yeah, that's how Twist was. You're kind of hoping hoping you could just sort of survive because, I mean, one of those one of those heavy cinder blocks catch you, you know what I mean? It was it could be you know, devastating if you had that kind of power. No, absolutely. Um, well, number nine, Larry Playfair. Yeah, Playfair is a – he's another guy. Who's, he's kind of dropped a few spots. I used to have him a little bit higher. You know, it's a, I'm a big Playfair you know, booster and – you know, I always say you know, he's kind of like the Rodney Dangerfield of, of fighters, like on the on the Twitter boards and Facebook. It's almost like people forget about him and don't re- realize the um, impact he had. You know, especially in the, during the '80s, like you know, the first like four or five years in the '80s, he was really one of the he was, he was kind of the Tony Twist of that time. You know, he was the most feared puncher. He had numerous broken jaws and broken faces to his credit, and you know, the shame of of it all at Playfair is. He's was a lot of his big fights aren't on video. You know, there's there's enough to kind of get a feel for him, but I don't. You know, we're kind of missing those big. You know, the big fights with Wenzhang and Jimmy Mann and Semenko. You know, which kind of I think helped propel him. You know, to top ten status, and people don't see it. You know, they can't go to YouTube and look at it. You know, so it's like, who is this guy? You, know, you don't even really. He's you don't even get a. He's not even a second thought. You know, but he really was a legit contender you know i thought that wilson sort of edged him out during that time as, as the league's top fighter you know but I, I thought he was right up there 1a 1b kind of you know with wilson at that time and, you know if it wasn't for wilson being you know such like a flawless fighter i think Playfair would be sort of that guy that we talk about you know kind of ranking higher but um you know just like i said he's sort of the running danger field that gets no respect it's it's probably time to start a you know national larry Playfair awareness day <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it's time. You know, we got the Ben Wilson thing, and we kind of got him on track. You know what I mean? So now maybe we got to do it for LP, too. Well, I think your PSAs are really helping out. Uh, yeah, without a doubt, Wilson's <laughs> shot up the thing, uh, awareness. But, uh, yeah, Playfair, like, I, to be honest, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to Playfair. I mean, I've seen some of his stuff on YouTube. Um, so, I mean, I'm certainly not going to uh, – I mean, I've heard the, the lore. I've heard the stories. And, um, you know, so I'm not going to try to add too much. I don't have anything too much more to add. I'll go with what you're saying. But, uh, I mean, the like you said, going back to our, our message board discussion, I mean, he was always, uh, he was always, he was very highly thought of, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, and there, there was there was one fight too. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm struggling with this one. I don't know if it was with uh, Christie in the playoffs, but Don Cherry was on uh, Hockey Night in Canada. And he was sitting in doing the broadcast that night, and he was just like, someone's got to stop this fight. You know, he's going to murder him. You know, and, and Don Cherry, you know, he's a guy who knows a little thing, you know, something about fights, you know. Yeah. He knows something about fighters. And when he's saying, get in there because he's going to murder him, you know, 
he 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 knows what he's talking about, you know, and you know, so he Playfair absolutely carried you know that reputation. You know, I, I wish there was just he's he just he's so maligned by that lack of footage. I think it really kills him because you can't just point and click and go see his video on YouTube and you know, and that's a shame. But you know, if you really if you're really like you know you know reading up on it and and you know just doing your your own due diligence to you know find out all about these fighters, you you start to discover that you know he was legitimate. No, absolutely. Well, uh, not, and kind of another enigma, kind of uh, at number eight, you got uh, Clark Gillies. Yeah, you know it's um, <laughs> it's funny because I remember someone was trying to make a comparison with him recently with uh, Larry Robinson. You know, basically saying essentially that you know Robinson doesn't. I mean, uh, Gillies doesn't even have enough fights to really even be counted. You know, as as one of those you know top echelon all time fighters, you know. But you know, I'm telling you, and I, I've I've traced this, but you know, when you look at from the moment he beat Dave Schultz in the '75 playoffs and up into his second fight with Ben Wilson, you're talking about a nine year stretch where he was. You know, now you can argue his activity and the fight card and everything like that, and that's all legitimate criticisms, but. In that nine-year period, he was—he had the reputation as one of the league's best fighters. And during that time frame for fighting, that's a huge fucking deal with me. You know, that's huge. Okay. You know, you, even though there might have been years where he didn't fight maybe that much, but he always seemed to do just enough, beat the right guys to sort of keep his name right up there amongst the very best. You know, whether it was the O'Reilly series, you know, beating the piss out of Dave Hoyda, breaking Eddie Hospital's jaw, you know, taking on Ben Wilson and you know, trying to get a measure of revenge and, you know, and everything like that. You know, I really thought that that's an incredible run, you know, for a fighter. He also, you know, put down Stan Jonathan, you know, at, during that time, Al Secord, you know. He doesn't have the huge laundry list of names, that you, you know, from that era or, you know, he doesn't have the hundreds and hundreds of fights and stacked fight card that you want to see, but he is, you know, truly an all-time great. I don't think you can have a an all-time list without Clark Gillies being involved or being ranked somewhere along the line. You might not think he's top 10, but he's definitely worthy. Like you said, well, like you brought up good points and uh, like, uh, like uh, when it comes to Gillies, like, I mean, the, um, the, you know, the videos there, I mean, you know, he certainly has some wins without a doubt with like a go, like my thing with Gillies again is the inactivity or the numbers or lack thereof. That was that's always been my, you know, kind of chink in his armor. But uh, but at yeah. the same but at the same time, like you said, when he had to, and the big wins are there, right? So, I mean, I I, I can see both sides of the coin for sure when it comes to Gillies. But um, number now this is an <clears throat> this is an interesting one. This is gonna. A few this like I said, this will get people talking to the iPod or to the dashboard. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm and, ready. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, well at number seven, Sandy McCarthy. All right. Uh, I knew I was gonna take shit for this, but you know, all right. So I when he first came into the league, uh he was kinda took every it kinda took the league by storm, didn't he? I mean yes, he did. you didn't really hear a ton about him before he came in. I just remember him being like uh, what, 19, 20 years old yeah. when he first came in with Calgary. 
And I remember that year was like the first year I started recording Bruins games on VHS. I was like, you know, going to give it a go and then splice the fights like I was some sort of fight tape, you know, pioneer or something like that. And uh, all I wound up doing was just recording a bunch of Bruins games. <laughs> I didn't really yeah. make a tape, but but I remember at that time he was, you know, just taking the league by storm. Not like a Troy Crowder. He wasn't knocking guys out, but he was beating a lot of guys. And, you know, I was very, like, my interest was peaked right away about him. And he was, you know, one of those fighters that was just unbelievable. And uh, especially that run in Calgary. And you could really argue that he went a great stretch without really taking a significant loss. And he would lose a fight here or there, but um, nothing major, you know, even Probert, you know, got knocked out in his second season, you know, and, you know, things like that, you know, guys always have been tough, tough losses early in their career, but, you know, McCarthy went on a run that was like for the ages, you know, went by Calgary. I thought the whole time he was with Calgary, he was either a champ or right there in the, the championship discussion. You know, I thought he was that good. And uh, I thought, I think, again, we all look at him in those last you know, last year of Boston, maybe his last season or so with New York, and we're, you know, we're like, oh, Sandra. You know, that's not Sandman, yeah. that's Sandra. And I think it kind of colors people's mis- uh, perception of him when they look back. You know, they just see the, the fall from grace. You know, they don't really realize how fucking awesome he was as a fighter and, you know, how he was sort of, you know, in my opinion, I, I would rate him higher than Twist and Simon, you know, during that initial run. And, you know, I I mean, it's obviously a lot of people have strong feelings towards Twist, you know, from that time frame. But I thought McCarthy was really the man to beat. And, you know, I just, I think when you couple that, and I also think his first few years, you know, when he left uh, Calgary, you know, to Tampa Bay, Philly, and his first year or so at New York, I thought he was still very good. You know, not like the champ anymore, you know, anything like that. But I thought it, thought it was still very good. And just like, you know, those last few years are real rough. Yeah. You know, but, um, but, you know, I mean, aside from that, I mean, I'm really, I'm not one of those people that's kind of like really, you know, kick a guy while he's down for a few bad years at the beginning or end of their career. You know, I just kind of like look at the, you know, the, the peak is really where I think everything really should be focused on. And, you know, I thought during his prime run, there was really, you know, very few like him in the NHL. And I, you know, I know I get a little, I'll take some flack for this, but I really did like Sandman. And I think he does right, you know, at number seven. No, yeah, I mean, I encourage everybody to get out because, I mean, lots of his stuff's up on YouTube. And like you said, those early Calgary years, I mean, you know, you got big wins over Probert and Domi and uh, McKenzie and, um, like, yeah, Grimson, Churla, McSorley. I mean, the dude was legit, you know. And uh, Yeah, you know, I, mean, he, I really do. I think I- Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and even like the twist thing. I mean, like you said, when Twist was really on his big run, you know, Sandy in Tampa was right there with him. Yeah, yeah, and it was almost, it was funny because I looked at it like, you know, I'm not one of those guys that like goes, well, all right, so you, he beat Probert, so he's the champ. And then this guy beat this guy, so he's the champ. I'm not really like one of those guys, you no. know. That, like to me, to me, the you know, it takes the league a little bit more, but I thought McCarthy's great run as a rookie and then beating Prober at the end of the season, I goes, I, you know, it's hard not to say he's champ, you know, when he does something like that. So then, you know, seeing him do that, and then I didn't really see him kind of get knocked off that plateau, even though Twist was on the rise. I thought McCarthy had already kind of, like, stolen the show, you know, and beaten Probert and dethroned him and, you know, and kind of, you know, set the stage for himself as sort of like the top dog in the league and, 
you know, I, I think I uh, mentioned to you, I had put together this piece about that transition period right there with Probert and McCarthy, Twist, Simon, and how those guys sort of ushered in the new new change in the heavyweight ranks and, and everything like that. And it, it really is true. Those guys all kind of took turns beating Probert and, you know, one way or the other and um, kind of like sort of pushing him out of the limelight a little bit. You know, and uh, but I really thought that McCarthy was the man. You know, I really did, and I know a lot of people aren't going to like that pick, but but I like him there at seven. He's you know he's an all time great to me. Yeah. Well, and uh, number six, Joey Koser. Yeah, it's, it's hard to. Uh, it's funny. I I remember going back and forth with people on the the message boards who thought he's number one all time. You know, they think he's like that great. Mm. You know, it's funny, but I've always liked you know, uh, Koser. You know, but I always thought there was a little bit. No, no, I'm not trying to say like that. He's like overrated or anything like that. He's an all-time great, you know. So it's hard to say he's overrated, you know. But I remember, you know, just I was never like one of those guys when when he first kind of came into the league. Like I never looked at him as being like this all-world beater. He was like kind of taking on guys like Jerome Dupont and Dana Mers and, and and guys like that. And you know, he fought like 45 times a year. But a lot of the guys he's taking on were like you know Dave Lowry's and guys like that, you know, and his, he, you could tell that he was sort of the the second tier after Probert. You know, I always thought there was a distinction, and then as time went by, and then, you know, you got to, like, maybe the late 80s, and then he had the Kai KO, and then he was sort of, like, you know, really on the rise at that point, you know, and I, that's where I thought you were kind of seeing, like, the legitimate Joey Koser beating Gates and Miller and knocking out Kite and everything like that. And uh, it's really hard to, like, argue with him because – He's probably the, the great power puncher of the time, you know, and uh, he obviously tremendous success as a fighter, top two, top three fighter for a stretch. And, you know, uh, I mean, he's a top 10 guy. It's just some people really like to put him up in that really, you know, upper holy trinity stratosphere. And I just never really looked at him like that, you know, so, but I, but I think, you know, whatever top five, top six, you know, sure. You know, that's. I think that's 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 fine for Koser. No, I agree. And like you said, I I always kind of, you know, yeah, he hit, and I mean, like you said, one of the scariest right hands of all time. And I mean, he certainly, obviously, his hands, he paid the price for it and everything. But um, yeah, I always kind of look. He was riding shotgun, but he was never the star. Like I, that was always Probert to me, and then Coaster was there to sort of clean up the rest. Not to say Coaster couldn't have done it on his own, but you know, at the end of the day, he didn't. Right? It was Probert that was doing it. And like you said, when you you kind of go through his 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 fight card, it's like you know, yeah, like you know, Mers and Rob Ramage, you know, Kite, Chris McRae, Terry Cartner. You know, it's like tough dudes. Brian Curran, you know, a bunch of times, and I, you know, I don't know. It's um, yeah. As I'm kind of, as I'm kind of, I'm just scrolling through his fight card now, and I'm kind of underwhelmed. Yeah, you know, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it's like if, if he's got a couple years where he fought like forty plus times, but like you know, and he'll have a couple like a fight with like a Glenn Cochran and a sandwiched in there with a bunch of fights, with, you know, Randy Boyd and 
you know, Perry yeah. Anderson or something like that or whatever. You know what I mean? And then, like, you know, he'll go a stretch of taking a lot of, like, you know, a bunch of scrubs, and then he'll take on, like, a Tim Hunter or something. You know, it's, so there are, you know, he does have some notable guys on it, but there's a lot of, you know, fucking tomato cans in that, you know, early echelon, early, you know, early age coaster. You know, there's a lot of real oh, yeah, strange I mean, names on it. Yeah, I mean, you have Mike McPhee, Ryan Walter, Mo Matha, Terry Johnson, Dave Langevin. You know Tim Bothwell. It's like you know Randy Boyd, Brad Smith, Nevin Marquardt. I mean, you know, it's kind of like you know. Yeah, and, it, it, and it's funny because I made a I made a remark on Twitter the other day. Someone was, so I think John had posted a video of Coaster um, taking out Wilkinson, Neil Wilkinson. I was like, oh, geez, another elite fighter dropped by Coaster, you know. <laughs> Um, but, but you know, it's I I, I kind of tease you know because I even though I am kind of being critical of of these guys you know I love them all you know I, I think oh, yeah. they just did a fantastic job I just I just try to I always repeat this but I always just offer I'm a fight fan you know I love talking fights and I'm not really being critical critical I'm just you know just talking fights you know and um, and yeah I think I always thought Coach had a little bit of that overrated sort of feel to him you know but at the same time he was another one of those guys that you know people are going up against him and kind of they're already sort of half beaten they're already trying to just hold on to the right you know and and hope to hope to get by you know so but you know i think he was a great fighter and it's i I don't really see him outside the top 10 you know yeah like it was it's almost one of those things it's like when he left detroit he got better like it was i think he had to get away from probert I think I, when he was with the Rangers and stuff, I think he had some big, you know, he had some big wins there, and uh, you know, his card got better. Um, you know, as he yeah, grew. and I, I also think there was like a like a almost like he it's weird. He went over to New York, and it was almost like, hey, I don't have to fight thirty five, forty times anymore. Uh, my hands taking a fucking beating. I got a couple of um, you know, wasn't didn't he have Ty Domi and eventually Darren Langan as understudies? Yes. You know, he's probably like, hey, I can just teach these young kids and, you know, how to do their thing. And, you know, I don't have to fight fucking 40 times a year. You know, I always thought there was kind of like this new aura to him when he went over to New York. You know, like, I'm fucking Joe Costa. What's up? Exactly. You know, that's right. I was on the Blues Brothers. What's up? You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know. There was just something about him where he didn't have to fight so much. And he seemed to kind of like accrue all of this, like, like huge respect, you know, like, I don't know how to explain it, but he all of a sudden was like, elite, like elite level, you know, and, but and it's funny cause he wasn't fighting nearly as much as he did in, in New York. I mean, not in Detroit. Yeah. But I think it's just the quality got better and yeah, it became quality over quantity. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, number five, we got, uh, George LaRock. Yeah, I think, when you know like when you're i mean i mean i think someone was mentioning like oh you know i have the same top 10 as you you know the same top seven just in different places you know and i think when you kind of hit this little range you're kind of dealing with the same people and mm-hmm. you know when, when i'm thinking top five all time and you know i'm thinking the guys that were the fucking most dominant the chance you know the guys that were the number ones you know uh the top guys and to me Rock fits that bill he, for the better part of a decade he was him and Brashear were sort of like 1A, 1B, you know, as top dogs during that time. And, you know, um, it, it's, you know, it's almost, I know a lot of people didn't like his style, you know, of fighting, but 
even though he did a lot of wrestling throwdowns and you know he can you know, he can be ugly if he didn't overwhelm me right off the bat but i still thought that he had so many beat down wins and you know notable you know victories and sort of like the acclaimed you know champ yeah, i remember gino logic on off the record you know they said who was the best fighter in the league he said you know george will rock by a country mile you know and that, that's kind of big when a guy like gino saying that you know so you know it's um you know, I, I looked at him as being like that guy that's sort of, you know, like, you know, you had your Probert and Browns, you had your LaRock and Brashear, you know. I thought that those guys sort of dominated that decade. No, I completely agree. And uh, like I said, him and him and Brash kind of, uh, yeah, 1A, 1B. And, I mean, I know both guys get shit on for their styles and, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, I've talked to, talked to guys that fought him and, you know, like you said, he hit like a truck. So, I mean, you know, for Buddy to sit there and watch him on YouTube and, oh, he's just throwing noogies. Yeah. <laughs> no. You go talk to Wade yeah. Belak about how hard he hit or, uh, you know, yeah, some, yeah. some of the guys I've talked to on my show, um, Mike Brown and guys like that. I mean, you know, they'll tell you George hit and he's lefty and he's so strong. Like, yeah, you didn't, yeah, you didn't want a part of that. Like I said, when the guy can kind yeah. of string you out and then just, throw you into his fist almost it's uh yeah that's a scary individual yeah and, and you know what too just a you know just a little shout out to george o'rock who's battling COVID 19 right now you know yeah. he's still got he's still got a lot of a lot of fight left in him and i know he's gonna knock this one out you know so you know george if you do listen out there brother you know we're thinking about you absolutely yeah and uh yeah scary stuff when uh when the virus could take a dude that that badass down and he was uh i heard he did a radio show today about it so he was uh you know i think he's uh he's fighting back from it but uh yeah absolutely beautiful uh, yeah for sure uh, i i expect nothing less from the champ exactly um while I, while we were just talking about number four you got brush here and like you said you know i could go either way flipping those guys either way but uh yeah number four donald brashear yeah, I think uh, I remember. I used to like. I used to be one of those like anti brashear guys. You know, I used to hate the style. You know, uh, oh, yeah. one of the hugging and pulling, and I used to, you know, I used to hate the rabbit punches, and you know, I, I hated that when he first came up into the NHL, he looked like he was scared shitless when he took on fighters, and he had scared eyes, and you know, I didn't, I didn't like the, you know, how he would like, you know, even when he was a fucking certified beast, he would like pick his spots, or he would turn down the grant to fight Chris Neal. You know what I mean? And like, he was just like so fucking infuriating. But when you kind of like, you know, when you stop to sort of smell the roses and yeah, 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 I was so happy when Brashear landed the left. I mean, uh, when Belak landed the left, you know, and knocked Brashear out, you know, I was so happy. But looking back, I mean, that guy was a fucking beast. Oh, yeah. You know, I think the reason why a lot of people hated him so much is because he, he was basically beating the shit out of their favorite fighters, you know, and it's, yeah. you know, it's really. I almost like I remember before like you know there was uh, there was a couple guys that used to be like oh he's top three all time I used to no 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 but you know what he really does have a legitimate argument and I have him in the top four and I like him where he is and I really think that such a great case can be made for him you know obviously he's got a lot of bullshit he's got a lot of baggage you know he he's you know like every other fighter he's got a lot of warts and, and cracks and stuff like that but I really thought that he was just such a, a fucking monster, you know, an incredible resume of victories and series dominations over some great fighters. I mean, he fucking dominated McSorley, Colton Orr, you know, 
you look through like just the impressive list of I mean, it's, you, you look at it, you're like, Jesus Christ, there's just so much there. Tremendous fight card. Even though he did, you know, his share of picking his spots, he still, you know, finished his career one of the great fight cards of all time. And, you know, just so many tremendous, notable victories. It's like you, you cannot keep him out of the top ten. I don't see how you keep him out of the top five myself. You know, he's just that great. I completely agree. And uh, I know Tony Tony's listening, and he'll be all excited, old Duker there. But I know he's a big Brashear guy, and I can't. I I never could stand Brashear, but I'll you know I always say give. I always give the devil his due, but um, <clears throat> I always say every every movie needs a bad guy, right? And you, <laughs> yeah, he was definitely a villain. Oh, he was, and uh, he couldn't. I remember watching them Canucks games, and I want Parker just to kill him, and uh, you know, and he'd hold on, and you know, and they kind of, but but he would get his shots in, and like you said, he pick his spots, but. He did it for a long time and had great success. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, you, like I said, you can uh, – proof's in the pudding, right? You can shit on him all you want, but, you know, when you sit Yeah, there, it, it, it's, there's too much there. Yeah, you know? there's just way too much there. It's not like – it's not like, you know, like some guys you can just write off, like, oh, all that guy did was wrestle. He, was, he sucked. He, you know, he wasn't anything. But, like, with Brashear, it's like, oh, no, I mean – you can't just gloss over dominating guys like McSorley. And he had, you know, one-sided victories over Probert, you know, and I know it was a, an older Probert, but still, I mean, you know, this isn't, you know, it's not like he's taking on Jeff Rogers here. He's taking a fucking Bob Probert, you know, and, you know, and, and beating the shit out of him. And then, you know, then his, you know, demo job on Sandy McCarthy. And, you know, he's, there's just so much going on, you know, with, with Brashear. And that's why I think, I've heard people trying to make a case for him for number one all time, and you can argue a case. I don't agree with it, but, you know, there's so much going on with there. If you're looking at one-loss ratio and fight card and, you know, big victories, series victories, I mean, he's got so much going on for him. Yep, I agree. Well, uh, number three is a guy that you've openly campaigned for for years is uh, <laughs> with your awareness, if we talked about him earlier, but uh, Ben Wilson. Yeah, he's, it's funny. I um, I don't maybe I just I became that guy to you know kind of like let everybody know or just remind people you know don't don't sleep on those some of those older guys like Playfair or Ben Wilson. Um, I think Ben Wilson is one of the greatest fighters of all time. I think he's one of the most complete fighters of all time. Um, you know, he's one of those fighters. You know, everybody has sort of a, that little weakness. You know, guys. You know, they don't do well if they get tied up or they you know they, they don't have stamina or they got no chin or they got no this or that. And, with Ben Wilson, if there's really no weaknesses there, you know, he, um, I think, I think that period from maybe 79 to maybe about 85, you know, you can argue that he was amongst the top fighters in the game. And I, I don't know if necessarily they had a champ at that time. Or so, you know, I only started hearing that term champ when Probert was around, you know, but like, you know, during that time, if you had to say that someone was the champion, I, I would say that that guy was Ben Wilson. He was the number one guy. I thought it was it would go uh, Wilson and then Playfair, you know, in that stretch. Um, and, uh, you know, in that time, I mean, outside of a handful, you know, of losses, very close losses, I'd say. I mean, the, the guy was just a uh, picture of perfection. Um, you know, very rarely looked bad, you know, never out of control, great balance, great chin, you know, unique uppercut style. You know, I think there's, you know, same thing, like, you know, we, when you start breaking down these fighters, you know, and look at the era that they come from, there's just no doubt uh, Ben Wilson was one of the top fighters of that time frame. And, um, you know, when you combine it with, 
Because I know when you know when people look at his fight card, they're not blown away. But his fight card for that time frame is unbelievable. He took all of them on. He wasn't one of those guys that coasted like a foot to you. He didn't coast on his reputation. You know, this was a guy that took on, you know, Terry O'Reilly twice. He took on Jonathan twice. You know, he took on John Wensink. You know, he took on Fatiu. He took on Beck. You know, he was like, yeah, I'm going to prove myself against the best of the best. And he did. Um, you know, so and even as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks, I thought he was still very good. Maybe not, you know, obviously the, the top dog anymore. He was kind of getting older, had back problems. Um, missed a whole year, um, but I still thought that he was still incredibly hard to beat, clearly. And, um, you know, I think, you know, when you look back, uh, like going back, like we did in the old message boards, you used to always talk about this holy trinity, and that was the, the top three all time, and it was always some some combination of Probert Brown and Wilson. And, you know, to me, Wilson has always been sort of that number three guy, and he still is to this day, that, that number three guy, and you know, I'm I'm the one that's out there spreading all the propaganda to get people to vote for him. <laughs> you know, so I'm obviously a fan. Uh, but but yeah, I think he is you know one of the great fighters of all time. No, oh, I completely agree. And uh, yeah, there's not much more to add to that. I mean, especially at that time period, like a, like you said, for his size, you know, which was you know he, again big by today's standards. You know, so you throw him back in the '70s. I mean, you know, he looked like goddamn Godzilla. So it's like. Uh, <laughs> You know, and like you said, in a big dude, but knew what he was doing, stayed in control, and and was and mean as shit. I mean, so you know, you add that all that together, and yeah, you had a machine. He's unbelievable, and uh, absolutely. No, I mean, you had me going back and watching stuff, and you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny too. But you, if you look back too, go back like you know what a run the fucking Flyers had of legitimate like talent that they brought up either from the minor leagues or played their first, you know, NHL games with the Flyers. I mean, Schultz, Holmgren, Hoyda, Ben Wilson, Cochran, Brown, Baruby. I mean, a continuous line of Philly cement. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no yeah. other team can really claim. Those guys weren't just fighters, though. You know, those guys were, like, top fighters. You know, I, don't, I mean, you know, the Bruins, the Blues, all those other tough teams, I don't really think they had a, a run quite like that. You know, just unbelievable, the commitment to toughness that the organization had. No, yeah, without a doubt. And like you said, Walton, you know, number two, we're not leaving Philly. I mean, you got Dave Brown. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, the the Terminator. Um, he's kind of like, you know, I swear to God, he was one of those guys who was so missing with, you know, just on ice enforcement, you know. And um, I always kind of view him as like being like kind of like made in a factory by Ed Snyder. You know, they like kind of put him together out of parts and they made this like, you know, they already kind of had the wild, you know, Schultz guy. And, you know, then they had the smaller version of, you know, with, with Dave Hoyda, you know, then they tinkered with the caveman style guy like Cochran and, you know, and then they, you know, they, they kind of, you know, flirted with perfection with Ben Wilson, you know, and then they kind of created this big, huge six, five Southpaw. You're like, how the fuck are they getting these unbelievable tough guys? Like not, not just tough, but you know, you know, incredibly elite fighters, you know, it's like they were growing them in a factory in the suburbs of Philly somewhere, you know. And uh, but I, I, I really thought Dave Brown was just unbelievable. What a beast! And it's funny, like when people talk about consensus top three, he's always brought up. You know, just what an incredible run. Um, if you know, if it, if it wasn't Probert at that time, it was Dave Brown. Uh, a lot of times, people went back and forth on those two guys from that time frame, from the mid '80s through the, you know, maybe the through the early '90s. Um, and I, I remember um, on, the, you know, just talking with fight fans, you know, over the years, 
they would love to talk about the Probert Brown fight from 91, almost like that's what well, the only thing that really separates them, you know, which is incredible because Probert has such a huge following and, you know, a lot of people, oh, he's number one all the time. But, you know, there are a lot of people out there that think that that, that one fight is really all that separates them, you know, because uh, Dave Brown, he really did. When you talk to fighters from that time frame, you know, the two guys they bring up the most as being the top dogs are Probert and Brown. You know, it's it, some of them even think Brown was the tough, toughest at the time, you know. So just, uh, you know, very uh, deserving top two ranking for Dave Brown. No, absolutely. You know, another Sastoon boy. And, uh, you know, I, I know at work there's a couple guys that I work with that grew up with him. And, uh, yeah, the stories, oh, wow. stories of him are pretty legendary. Apparently a hell of a pitcher. Was actually a very good top baseball prospect at one time. That's why I said, could you imagine charging that mound? Yeah, good luck to you. <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, you know, mean, that that sleeve, tight sleeve, and, uh, and just did not give a shit. And, uh, you know, if you're going to fight, let's fight. We're not going to square it off or, you know, uh, there is nothing fair about Dave Brown. And, and hey, that's no. fine. I mean, you're here to win, you know, and to cause damage. And uh, he did that. And uh, yeah, I think he definitely he definitely put the fear of God into people for sure. Yeah, and it's it's funny too how in an, in an, at a time like you know like you know Dave Brown did his thing like to you know probably one of the greatest eras of fighting that we ever saw. You know, with guys that were the top fighters. You know, like in the '70s, your top fighters probably weren't really challenged a lot. You know, like guys like Gillies and Fatou, you know, they can kind of like, you know, you know, sort of like post by on their reputation because people were, you know, legitimately nervous around them and stuff like that, you know, you know, but then when you look at it, when I look at a guy like Dave Brown and then like, like I was mentioning to you before, you know, we got recording there, you know, I was watching that footage of Dave Brown talking to Dennis Bonvey. you know, Dave Brown was with the San Jose Sharks and Dennis Bonvey was looking to make a name for himself with the Oilers. And, um, you know, right off the face off, he drops the gloves and, you know, he's, it's that fucking Dave Brown, you know, he, even at that stage in his career with the Sharks, I mean, Bondi was, you know, backpedaling to get away from him, you know, and it, it was a little shocking. And I don't recall seeing that, that, that maybe that clip or maybe it just never struck me before, but, you know, then you hear the story that LaRock told about not being ready to, you know, to be in the NHL and do his thing as a heavyweight, you know, because he saw Dave Brown skating up next to him. You know, and he began kind of get a little, you know, shaky in the knees, you know, at the thought of, I might have to tangle with this guy. This is the kind of reputation that Dave Brown had. And it's funny when you look at the difference, Dennis Bombay taking on Bob Probert, hey, you're going to make me or break me. You know, I'm taking you on. We're doing this right now. But with Dave Brown, it's like, yeah, fuck that. You know what I mean? Uh, someone else can do it. You know what I mean? That's the kind of reputation. He was a, a face-breaking terminator, you know, and it's what a, a tremendous rep, you know, at that time to be so feared with Dave Brown to be so how zealous he was getting fights and forcing the issue. No, absolutely. Yeah. One of the, uh, like you said, top, definitely I'd have him in the same spot you got. And then of course at number one, you know, Bob Probert, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, uh, it is, it is what it is. I mean, I, I don't think anybody would really argue with that. Yeah, it's no. There's really no surprises. It's a little anticlimactic. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people, you know, he's kind of like the consensus number one all the time. And you know, um, you can kind of sit there, you know, and talk about Prober for hours. Yeah, yeah, you know, all the big fights, and you know, it seemed like every year he was giving you a fight of the year candidate style fights, and you know, and I think he was 
in my opinion, he was the first guy I ever saw say, you know, kind of like, I'm going to be the best fighter in the NHL. And if you beat me, I'm going to come back at you. And then I'm going to beat this guy and that guy. And I'm going to be the one at the top of the heavyweight heap when all is said and done. And if, you know, and just like we saw, guys would get the edge on him, Domi or Crowder, and then he's coming back. And the rematches are some of the biggest fights that we've ever seen, you know, like championship style fights in a hockey, hockey arena setting. You know, and I don't think really anyone else had anything, you know, quite like that. You know, he was sort of like the most celebrated fighter of that time. And I know he gets a lot of grief for his Chicago years not being up to those Detroit standards. But, I mean, who the fuck can fight like Bob Probert in Detroit for 16 years? Exactly. You know, I just, I, I don't know if anybody can keep that pace. You know, I mean, the way he was doing it was incredible. And I, I think at a certain point, he must have started and said, geez, I can't avenge every little loss. I can't, you know, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going after Tamer. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't, I'm not going to, you know, go make this kid a household name by trying to rematch him, you know? And I think, I think at that point you could kind of tell like, all right, bro, he's, he's doing it a little bit different now. You know what I mean? Like before it was like, he wouldn't stop at anything, you know, to get back at Tamer and probably even that same game. But, you know, I think he was just a little bit more mature and, you know, realizing he, he was going to have to stick around the league for a while to come. And, you know, but I still thought he was a, a, t- a top fighter, not a champ in, the, in Chicago. And then I think maybe those last year or two, he really he kind of faded. But um, I still think he's, you know, when all is said and done, I know he, one of the big knocks on him would be, you know, he did have a number of, you know, big losses during his career. Um, I just think when you kind of like, look at just a mountain mountain of accomplishments that he had. It's it's really kind of like Bob Probert and then there's everyone else. Yeah, and he was one of those guys like when the when even in the later years, when the when the chips were down, he pulled out the win every time. Yeah. You know, and it's funny when you mention that because I've there's certain guys that like, you know, they were they're enforcers like they you know, they would stick up for their teammates. But Probert was like one of the few guys that I saw would actually go out of his way to stick up for another fighter. And I think he's done it with uh, when Ryan Vandenbush took a, took a beat down, and he did it when Cam Russell got knocked out by Ty Domi. And uh, I remember when uh, during the Russell incident, Probert had just come back um, from shoulder, reconstructive shoulder surgery, and um, he basically was trying to fight one-handed. He, but he was like, you know... I'm, you're not doing that to, to my teammate, even though Russell was a tough guy who's been through so many wars himself. You know, it was, it was strange that he was like, all right, well, I'm going to be the enforcer's enforcer. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to get, I'm going to get this one back too. And I forget who I want to say it was Belak that beat Vandenbush. My memory is a little fuzzy, but Probert also didn't like that. You know, the way that went down and he stepped up right in there. And I was like, Oh wow. This guy's actually standing up for the enforcers. He's fighting. He's standing up for the, the tough guys you know that's that's something else you know so you know it's funny because when you hear some interviews back in the during that time frame but like reed simpson and and guys that were teammates with probert at that time they're all kind of talking about taking a load off probert like yeah you know we gotta do what we can so we can play more and not have to fight so much you know but you know i just think there was almost like a natural like instinct you know for for probert to kind of just be that protector even if it was another tough guy getting taken out Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, and uh, 
you know, and he'd not only like, like you said, be the enforcer or stick up for the teammates, but like, you know, he had no problem instigating shit too. Right. Like he'd, uh, Oh my God. Yeah. Like how many goalies did he run over? And, uh, you know, it was, um, yeah, no, it's just, I, like you said, we could, we could talk for hours. I mean, you could do a whole episode on, you could do a number of episodes on Bob Probert. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I remember what we used to talk about, like, Oh yeah, you know this fight is so great, and I'm like, yeah, but he's only got one highlight video on YouTube. Probert's got like twelve. Exactly. You know, so I used to say that all the time. You know, it's just like a highlight reel of fights, and you know, and so many big fights too. You know, just just incredible. Like you said, you could kind of go on and on and on and about you know what he accomplished and you know uh, during his career, but just I never saw another fighter like him like go after it the way he did in his prime, and you know, just probably the most special fighter we ever saw. Absolutely. Well, there we go, man. There's uh, the top uh, Steve's top twenty-five, and, and what a list! And like I said, you can, things are interchangeable, and people are, uh, you know, going to debate this, and you could move names around. But um, that's that's a pretty tough list to beat, right there. I think you did a hell of a job, yeah. man. Oh, thank you, thank you. And of course, you know, anybody who wants to throw daggers at it, by all means, I love a good uh, all-time debate. I love discussing, you know, the great fighters and. I just love talking fights, so that's, you know, I really appreciate you having me on to, um, you know, sort of break it all down. We slogged through that whole whole thing. I mean, I thought this was going to be like a two-episode thing, you know, but we got it all in one. Absolutely. No, we're going <laughs> to get – I'm keeping you up late. I know it's it's like midnight there, 1230, so I, I won't keep you on the phone for uh, for much longer. But, uh, no, thank you very much for coming on. And like I said, this certainly won't be the, uh, the last time you're on. And uh, – but uh, no, everybody. Uh, Twitter uh, when Probert was king dot com, and then uh, what's your handle on Twitter? I'm. Uh, it, I run through my page. It's when Probert was king. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, find him on Twitter, and uh, you know, ar- argue with him, agree with him, but uh, but let us know what everybody listening what you guys thought of the list. And uh, like you said, we get this debate and get the guys talking and, uh, or get, you know, get people talking about the guys and uh, it's always, uh, it's always fun, but uh, I won't keep you any longer, Steve, but uh, thank you very much for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. No, thank you. I really appreciate you kind of, you know, shining light on, on, you know, this crazy little niche hobby that we have and, you know, uh, the fight fans like myself, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not, no, not an enforcer, but, you know, you still give me uh, the time to come on your show and, oh, and talk about, you know, some of the greatest fighters of all time. I really, I really do appreciate that. And I, I really appreciate that spirit of keeping the hobby alive. And, you know, that's what I love about your podcast. And like I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I'm really glad that you're back and uh, really just, you know, keep at it. And if there's anything you need, let me know. Absolutely, man. And your, your stuff will be in the mail tomorrow. But uh, I'll, I'll let Beautiful. you. I'll let you go. All right, Steve. You have a All good right, night. Take care, Darren. You Thanks. too. Thanks, Bye now. Bye. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 